0: radio. This is Robbie Martin.
1: And this is Abby Martin.
0: How's it going, Abby?
1: It's going good. It's going good. I know that you've been wanting to do this podcast for a while. Um we we've, we've been uh we've been following of course all the NSA leagues. We've been covering that a lot on on media roots and on breaking the set and uh, my brother and I have been talking a lot about why haven't we seen kind of the resurrection of Occupy on the tech industry. Um in wake of all these, you know, all these leaks and everything that shows the partnership between the tech industry and the government. Um, a couple of days ago, activists actually occupied, quote-unquote occupied, set up some tents in front of the
0: Google headquarters. And Was it even, I think they actually did it on the campus. Oh, it on the like campus. In, yeah, inside the, because the, it's like a giant sprawling, like outdoor campus with a big open space in the middle. And I think that's where they did the encampment.
1: Yeah. And then I, and then I was really excited. My brother, you know, wrote me and he was like, Hey, we got to do this podcast now because like people are actually doing this. And then I read that they were occupying quote unquote the space of Google, um, to protest net neutrality. And I thought that that was a little bit odd because, (laughs) you know, if you're looking at implementing net neutrality, you're going to go to the FCC and people have occupied the FCC too. And which is what prompted that kind of three month like comment section that the FCC launched. But yeah, I just feel like there's a lot of. I don't know. I feel like people are pissed off, obviously, but people don't know where to direct their anger. And, you know, you're either blaming the government for everything and not blaming any of the tech companies, or you're blaming like the tech companies for something that the government should be doing. So it's just.
0: Or you're hoping, or like the Glenn Greenwald Snowden view is like you're hoping that the tech industries will correct themselves to, so that like they'll not lose profits from like embarrassment over the. NSA revelations.
1: Yeah, exactly. But like I mean, they'll, they'll
0: add in their own encryption to make it harder for the government to just steal their data. And, and that's and that bullshit.
1: I mean, we just interviewed Mark Klein, the AT&T whistleblower, and he was saying that we shouldn't trust the private sector industry any more than the government. I mean, when we see that they're working in conjunction, I don't understand why we should just inherently trust the private sector industry just because they aren't the ones knocking on our door. I mean, they're the ones providing the data. They're the ones yeah, allowing these
0: back doors. The only, the only good argument... Again, or the only good argument in favor of not treating the private sector with as much scrutiny is that people will say, "Well, you can't the the private sector can't audit you, they can't arrest you, they can't indefinitely detain you, um, you know, they can't bring criminal charges to you." But I think that that's I just think that's really oversimplifying and ignoring another whole part of it, which is like we've let these type of privacy violations become normalized over time. And they are extremely ethically horrendous. Right. I mean, Philosophically,
1: it's just still like maybe, as much of a, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, just because they're legal now or these companies are allowed to do these things doesn't, I don't think should be the defining like crux of the argument. It's like, it's extremely um, unethical. Exactly.
1: The, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. No, at the end of the day, of course the private sector isn't coming and holding us indefinitely and drone bombing people, but they are providing these platforms, these blueprints and the data to the government to do that. I mean, essentially, and it is highly unethical. I mean, sure. They're just using it for quote unquote data mining purposes and, you know, narrowing our, making our own biases um, reinforced online by catering all the shit directly to us. Like, they're basically destroying the internet, um, yeah. And 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 they're also working with the government. So, you know, I don't. I just don't think it's fair to give them a free pass and just hope that. You know, here we are hoping that the government will reform itself. We're also hoping that these tech industries will step up to the plate and start providing all these protections.
0: Bullshit. The only, I to me, the only ethical thing to do is if you want to be purely ethical and you're not concerned about profits is literally to either shut your company down, do something that is completely disconnected in every way imaginable from the corporate stranglehold over digital communications.
1: And that's what the guy from LavaBit did. I mean, exactly. he, he was yeah. asked to hand over data and open these back doors and he said, no. He said, I'd rather shut down my company than do that.
0: Yeah, and that, I mean, that guy's a fucking hero. I mean, right. that's, that's, that's the type of private sector behavior that I respect. When you said these companies aren't doing drone bombings and killing people in other countries, I think if you think about it, in a way they are, because they're handing over this data to the US government, either voluntarily or maybe not, but they're creating this map of information that can lead to people's assassinations. They're aiding and abetting drone bombings in a huge way, at the very least.
1: No, you're you're absolutely right about that. I was just going to say... Um Amazon, like licensing, you know, Jeff Bezos from Amazon licensing the cloud to the CIA. I mean, the CIA hosts all of its data on the cloud now through Mm -hmm. Amazon. Um, And so just think about that for one second. So basically, Amazon's an accomplice of murder, of like extrajudicial killings abroad, because that's where, you know, all this metadata shit and they're storing it all on the cloud. I mean, yeah, I mean, it comes to a point where... Once you have this convergence, there really is a blurred line between who is held accountable for these things or where the accountability really lies. I mean, if you're complicit in carrying out these war crimes, then if you're providing the service to allow these war crimes to happen, then are you not an accomplice?
0: Absolutely. And just as a side note, I think Edward Snowden was the one who brought this to my attention first was... uh, that Amazon doesn't encrypt any of their data, and it's not just the government that has access to their like shopping records and stuff, it's like any organization can get access to it. So someone anywhere in the world, if they had the computer skills, can get access to this information that shows what kind of like person you are based on the kind of books you buy. I mean, that's that in of itself is really strange that that information is not protected because that was like a huge controversy when the Patriot Act came out that they could look at your library like rentals, right. you know, without a con- without a warrant. So that's just crazy. I mean, look how far we've come in 13 years now that th- that was a controversy back then and that was the library.
1: Can you imagine yeah. if back then, yeah, no, it's amazing how everything's digitized and everything's normalized and we're just conditioned to accept it all. Like I just read this thing that Facebook, fuck Mark Zuckerberg, seriously, Facebook is now tracking your web logs After you sign out and storing them and selling those, I mean, how insane is that? Can you imagine if you heard back when the Patriot Act was signed, if a company was able to track everything you did, like after you went to that one business and then sold that data, like every store you went to, every purchase you made, every like book that you, you know, you went to every movie you went to. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely insane. I have no idea how... And Facebook has turned into such shit too. And like all these social media sites are just degenerating. Facebook has turned into where I only literally see like five people post. And I'm thinking, how is that possible? I'm following almost a thousand people. Where are all their news feeds? Like, where are all the stories? Why am I just seeing this one thing every time I sign on? It's like, are people not seeing things that I post? It's like, what is going on? How the hell is this site even functioning?
0: Going back to what you said about the problems with with Occupy Google, um, there was a recent campaign called reset the net, which was in my mind, it seemed like it was inherently flawed concept because, uh, there wasn't any, there wasn't any push in the reset the net campaign for scrutiny on private companies like corporate surveillance. Um, I think there was some stuff in there about how these companies should, you know, integrate more encryption so the government can't get their data, but it wasn't about the already existing corporate surveillance of customers of these companies. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I had no idea that Reset the Net was so like state-specific. Yeah. Um, it's just like the lines are so blurred now. I just don't see why not just lump in all of these Um, corporations and hold them just as accountable. I mean, I understand just like Mark Klein said, the guy that we just interviewed from AT&T that blew the whistle on the server room that the NSA installed in AT&T back in like 2000, what was it, 2? Yeah. You know, he did say like he doesn't think that Eric Schmidt and Mark Zuckerberg and all these people are necessarily in the know about every single thing the NSA was doing in terms of like hijacking, you know, the, the cookies and like tracking all these things. But at the same time, I mean, there's no excuse moving forward to have have these companies be egregiously invading our privacy like what I just read about Facebook and I just said about them. Like you would think that they would be going above and beyond to try to appease their consumer base and customer base and saying this is everything that we're doing to ensure that your privacy is protected. I haven't seen any actions whatsoever being taken and all I see is just a bunch of apologies on behalf of these companies because it just kind of all goes back to that like civil libertarian ideal that like the state is to blame for every single thing that happens and like we should just inherently trust all the business side of it which i, I just don't agree with
0: oh it's complete bullshit it's absolutely complete bullshit we have a we have like a corporate ran oligarchy corporate fascism essentially in this country and to only accuse one side as being the problem is i mean it's not looking at like half of the picture Or, you know, maybe even less than that. Right. You know, we'll go into the history of Silicon Valley a little bit later and how it actually all started. It revolved around the Pentagon. The origins of the whole valley and all the companies in it started around military defense contracts. You know, I've heard people use the phrase occupy Silicon Valley before, but I don't know if anyone's actually taken it into like fruition as like a broader movement, you know, like an actual movement. There's been all those recent or, or not that recent, but like in the last year, there's been a few Google bus blockades in San Francisco. And those protests were mostly revolving around wealth inequality. Yeah. And let's talk really
1: quickly about what Google pretty much has changed the demographic of the entire Bay area because you have especially San Francisco. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and please feel free to jump in, but I, I, I don't live there anymore. I know that you do, but my friends that live in San Francisco have said that, you know, the tenderloin, the mission has been just completely taken over. Mark Zuckerberg buys a house in the mission and then like all of his neighbors are evicted because he automatically made the price raise like, you know, a million percent. <laughs> I mean, I'm being hyperbolic, but it just shows you what the presence of that industry can do to a city. It's basically destroying the city.
0: Yeah, and I mean they've they've raised the prices of everything, not just rent. Like you know, there's a whole economy now in San Francisco based around higher income people that um, work at these tech industries, including Google. And back to Mark Klein for a second, like he he had this information two years previous to when he actually like came out publicly with it because, in his own words, he didn't want to lose his job. He waited until he retired and came out and I'm not exactly sure what what age he was when he did that, but I mean he was retirement age. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these employees for the tech industry now are super fucking young. Right. And a lot of them are like millionaires in their twenties. So to think that any of them are gonna like come out and blow the whistle in a similar way to Mark Klein did is I, I think it's is very hard to believe. Like I can't even imagine that really happening. There's there's different thing there's different layers to this. Like on one level you have the the Google policy of working with the U.S. government, and you know the secret things that they they don't want to tell the public about. But then on another layer of this, you have the idea that private employees of Google. But actually, to me, Facebook seems more worse in this regard. That private employees can just violate users' privacies for their own personal reasons. Like if someone wants to stalk an ex-girlfriend who's a Facebook employee, can you fucking imagine what kind of access that would give them? Like
1: all their messages and all that shit. All their messages, their
0: pictures. I mean, it's incredible. Facebook alone gives you an insight into someone's private life that nothing else does online, not even Google. But uh, on the other hand, Google employees have immense access as well. We don't even really know how that email sniffing technology works. Like, does it store all these keywords and databases? Can you see what words are trending in people's private emails like Twitter does? I mean, that's just so strange to think about how that's not considered a highly unethical privacy violation. Yeah, I I remember
1: a couple of years before the Edward Snowden revelations broke. I remember reading this article about what the NSA, like what words are, are kind of data mine on the internet for like red flags, cloud pork and Mexico. And I was just Mexico, thinking how yeah. funny that those three, I mean, those three words stuck out to me because they're the most absurd, But it's just like funny. I could just see those floating up of like a Gmail inbox. (laughs) Like, yeah, (laughs) like, well, this person's now flagged. Put her on the no fly list. She's (laughs) she's talking about eating pork in Mexico. Um, Another problem with Google is that it's branded itself as this amazing fucking company where there's movies being made about how fucking great it is starring Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. Um, tons of my friends from the bay area work at google they're treated very well it's a um, insanely ridiculous like college campus playground for its employees there's nap rooms it's like free lunches i mean
0: it's almost like a religion from i mean it's like (laughs) a cult in some ways like people really do fucking love it there right they 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 have like ethics classes where they teach you how to like not be prejudiced like i was i was told this by someone who worked at google who said that they have actual like little like um workshops where they teach you how to like not judge people based on their appearance like how if someone like is overweight how like you have these preconceived notions about them like really strange stuff that doesn't go on at other corporations they teach
1: privacy classes too
0: (laughs) yeah yeah they do in fact (laughs) Uh, and that's the thing they're treated so well there. That that's probably part of the reason why they don't have whistleblowers come out. Um, company like ATT, you know, they probably don't treat their employees nearly as well as Google. I can't really speak for Facebook because I don't really know anyone working there, but that's another thing where I was actually told by someone who's has several friends that work at Facebook that say, Yeah, it happens all the time at Facebook that you can, you know, you can stalk people essentially, or spy on girls that you want to have sex with. Or there, I mean, there's just so many different things that you can do with that information that's a whole other side of it
1: yeah and so these google protests protests excuse me have erupted in san francisco and you know i we're not advocating any sort of violence whatsoever and i do think that like attacking google buses and employees who are going to and from work is definitely misguided um but i do understand the frustration i understand that it's just erupting into this like it's manifesting into this organic way where people are just so frustrated with what their city's turning into and the prices are raising so much, you know, the stratification and all the gentrification that's going on there that I, I understand people's frustration. I understand people lashing out. I think it's misguided. I don't advocate destroying, you know, these buses and shit. I feel bad for the employees who are working there. Maybe they're not privy to all
0: this. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't advocate for that kind of exact approach, but I do, I do think the idea of doing blockades is probably like the most effective you know form of of like civil disobedience in like a, at least in like a metropolitan area because you can really like and this is like another thing that they're actually starting to charge people for terrorism for is like hurting a corporation's profits you know <laughs> i mean isn't that true am i am i wrong about that or haven't they actually No tried i mean to- well
1: they already i know that that's true in the fact um of the animal enterprise terrorism act where they're basically saying if you hurt like the agricultural industry's profits then yeah so i mean it's it's just a matter of time before that that kind of mindset is adopted across every industry
0: yeah 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 the, the whole google bus bus blockade thing um there's been a lot of differing views on that even like among like the more fringe left people there's an article on salon January twenty second two thousand and four called in defense of Google bluster was it by uh, Natasha blockades? and
1: Leonard Yeah, I had her on the show about it. It was great.
0: Might have been. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we should link to your segment um, um, about that. And people were suggesting the, the whole idea of Occupy Silicon Valley years and years ago, while Occupy Wall Street and Occupy Oakland were happening. There was an article in Venture Beat two thousand eleven uh, October nineteenth two thousand eleven the author uh, says, why aren't people occupying Sand Hill Road, the home of most Silicon Valley venture capitalists? Why aren't people blocking the entrances to Google, Oracle, or Apple? And I think that's a really good point because while they are sort of spread out among Silicon Valley, I mean, they're really not that far away from where this huge groundswell of Occupy Oakland happened. So... I don't know. It's just how do you redirect people's outrage about the nine, you know, one percent versus the ninety-nine percent to something like this? And that was that was another problem with that I had about Occupy Oakland or Occupy Wall Street from the very beginning is that it was like framed like this idea that if you're the one percent, you're evil. When in reality, like the real oligarchs, the billionaires, and the, and the people who actually pull strings in this world are like the point zero one percent. Right. So, and I think that that sort of- That's not as catchy of a slogan. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of like decent meaning people who um, desire to be wealthy and aren't necessarily like evil oligarchs. And I think that that might have, you know, just on a philosophical level, it kind of turned me off a little bit from the whole slogan of the 99% versus the 1% because I just don't think that that's, it just makes it seem like it's all about wealth inequality. You know, and if you're rich, then you're, you're part of the problem or something like that. No, and I and think, I, it's and I think that, that that's, yeah, it is,
1: that. it is. And I, there's a lot of problems with Occupy and I want to go over that with what we experienced, but I think that it's the incredible branding of corporations like Apple and Google that people love, people want to be a part of the culture. It's tapped into the fucking psyche of, of our generation, Robbie, the state hasn't done that. The state's a fucking joke at this point. So people that we know, we love Apple. We love Google. I I fucking use both products. Like I'm, I'm, I feel like such a hypocrite, but, but yeah, you're right. It's not these people. It's not the people working there. It's not even the people managing any of this shit. It's the people at the very top. It's the Mark Zuckerberg. It's it's the people under him. Um, It's the people who are allowing these policies to happen. Um, And that's who we need to reach. And, and honestly, like this Occupy Silicon Valley idea is to get the attention of those people, the people at the fucking top
0: of yeah. these agencies. They need to know that simply making this tokenistic effort to encrypt their data is not fucking enough. That's the thing. Unless their profits are hurt in some fashion, they're not going to do anything right. differently. And I think that this privacy expose with the NSA hurt some of their, more of their international profits, not so much their domestic profits. That's that's another question it raises is, is it hypocritical to put a lot of heat on these Silicon Valley companies and, and protest them and even occupy them if you use their products? And I think the answer is obviously, yeah, it, it is a little bit hypocritical, <laughs> but at the same time, it can actually make a blockade type situation, a flash mob protest Something like that a whole lot fucking easier. And that's, and that's the thing with pro- the protest movement since a lot of these social networks have started is that on one hand, you have all this fucking privacy violation going on and unethical behavior on behalf of these companies um, and people just volunteering all their data. But on the other hand, you actually have a lot of these Silicon Valley companies actually aiding protest movements and helping them along and giving them fuel and giving them power that they might not have had before. With just in terms of like a grassroots formation of people.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's way easier to be like, I'm just going to sign off Facebook and, and cancel my Twitter and all this shit and like get a new e- email account. But at the same time, you're right. I mean, these tools are almost so user friendly and and like so fucking institutionalize it it's like we have to use them in order to get this galvanized effort behind it and what better way to say hey we are your consumer base and yeah. that's why we want you to change because we use your product
0: yeah use twitter to make hashtags and and to follow and create networks on twitter to like get people to mobilize on a moment's notice of when there's going to be an occupy encampment or a new occupy effort use facebook to start social groups about this. Um, Use Google to research, use Google Maps to find out where all of these companies are. And it's extremely easy to. All these companies have corporate headquarters in Silicon Valley. I think with the exception of like Microsoft and a couple other really big ones, but they're all here. And you can use, guess what? Google to find out everything you need to find out to form any type of sort of protest activity against any of these companies the, and there's the whole nother absolutist approach where it's like you can completely unplug yourself um opt out of the grid completely do everything that way but i don't think it'll give you as much power to actually hurt these companies like the um like going off the grid completely would so right that's sort of the point is that even though it might be hypocritical it's a whole lot more effective to use their right. it's like using their own tools against them. Yeah, exactly. To, exactly.
1: Yeah. Someone someone was arguing with me the other day when I found out that they voted for Obama and I got kind of upset. And I was just like, oh no, you know, I just don't vote for oh, war no. criminals. Like <laughs> I, you know, I just don't, I just can't endorse a war criminal. And she's like, oh, but you use Facebook. And I was like, you know what? That is complete bullshit. I'm actually forced to use Facebook to spread the information about Obama being a war criminal. Like I it's it just like that's so fucked up to like point to everything and then be like oh but you're a hypocrite for just like existing and you know it's, i think it's, it's just- missing
0: yeah it's like you care more about getting the information in more places than you do about being like an absolutist about your beliefs because it's the same reason that people go on the mainstream media who constantly talk about how awful it and controlled it is you get a huge platform and you have 10 minutes of time or whatever to say something that could change the way things are talked about or the way or, or you know could change some exactly. small aspect of the world so something you, you know if you did it on your own podcast probably wouldn't have nearly the same effect i think that that viewpoint is what keeps certain people from doing civil disobedience or being activists is they don't feel like they have necessarily the right to, cause they're not absolutist enough about it.
1: Right. And I think that that, I want to like, I want to really quickly break apart that fucking myth because here, you know, on, on the show that I do, I'm constantly calling out fucking everything. If I adhered to everything that I preached about, like I would be, I would be totally removed from the grid living on, on fucking like rainwater. I mean, you just, you have to pick and choose your battles here. Like, Yes, the information is crucial and those fights are going to choose you. Like, you're going to be drawn to certain issues. You don't need to fucking care about everything. You don't need to be drawn to everything. You don't need to take every single thing and cower down in a corner and give up. Like, the information's out there. Take it as you wish. Heed what you will. You know, don't don't worry about being fucking called a hypocrite if you use an iPhone or whatever. Like, just know what's going on. Just be engaged about it. Understand how you fit in, but also understand how you can change it.
0: Absolutely, and I think that that's almost like an excuse that that oh well that would make me hypocritical. I I don't think that that's a reason not to do it because there's always an element of hypocritical behavior when you're advocating on behalf of a cause because unless you're completely absolutist about it, you're always going to be to some degree a, a, a quote unquote hypocrite. Okay.
1: I was just going to say that when we were at Occupy Oakland. And, you know, I thought there was two big problems that I saw. One was the lack of leadership. I completely understand the point of having, like, this altruistic, leaderless, you know, movement of people who just provided everything for each other. But there is a big problem when you are trying to represent yourself, and then you're just, like, allowing literally anyone in the vicinity to do a mic check. And, like, media is there trying to report on what the fuck you guys are talking about. And there's, like, probably some, like not all mentally there person speaking on behalf of the entire movement on this microphone that's one problem another problem is that the democratic party um infiltration of the movement yes it was amazing to see the unions behind us for that strike and it was like an incredibly historic day like seeing like the teamsters and all that support us but i think that that support did toxify that kind of just that raw organic nature of like defeating the entire establishment or like undermining the establishment rather where people yeah. didn't want to confront the democratic party. And I, I know that we've talked about this before. There was the Obama headquarters in Oakland directly down the street. I think like literally one block away from Frank Agawa Plaza and yeah, not one person. I know later Scott Olson and some people like did a little thing, uh, civil disobedience about Chelsea Manning, but not once during the entire Occupy protest going on in Oakland when we were involved um, before it like totally got shut down. Did anyone suggest going to the Obama headquarters? And when we brought it up, it was like people just kind of were like, Oh, whatever.
0: If I remember correctly, it was like the elections were happening that, that next fall. Am I right about that? Mitt Romney versus Obama. Didn't, Didn't that happen the next fall or am I confusing? Anyways, I I mean, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I think you are right. So, I mean,
0: it's just sad that, yeah, if it happened now, I do think the dam has broken to a certain degree. I don't think it has completely because you don't really hear people talking about Obama the same way they talked about Bush. But I do think that this NSA revelation, however you feel about it, if you don't think it went far enough, if you think Snowden is, um, you know, didn't should have released all the documents, he's not radical enough. Regardless of all that stuff, I do think that it caused public support for Obama to to diminish quite significantly. Um, and when I say public support, I'm not even really talking about polls. I just mean people, average people going out on a limb to actually like praise him for anything now. I feel like it just kind of squashed people's ability to even go out there and be like, yeah, I think he's still doing a good job. Like, I just don't even hear people really talk that way anymore and i think it's a shame that occupy happened at such a time when people were still very much behind democrats right and and then eventually the you know kind of this weird democratic establishment power started to creep into it a little bit a, a little bit towards the end i mean it, it, compared to the tea party oh, it, it was there's barely no comparison, right. but even still yeah that part disturbed me as well but that's the thing that i think that something like Something that's more focused. And this is the beautiful thing about an Occupy Silicon Valley is already out of the gates. It's already far more focused than Occupy Wall Street or Occupy Oakland. Because it's not just about occupying Silicon Valley and just like hanging out in fucking San Jose or Cupertino (laughs) or Fremont with a tent, you know, set up somewhere. It's like you're actually, it's about occupying um, the corporations
1: and it's about a very specific thing where it's like we aren't gonna stop until you actually provide us with some sort of insurance that you're gonna
0: absolutely like
1: you know have privacy protections and stand up to the government and say no because we don't fucking know
0: and the interesting thing is nobody has ever really done this before i mean silicon valley is is not really like a city designed to stop protests i mean it's it seems like a very wide open city um and i actually had a dream about this and this is a really <laughs> crazy dream i had Bef- right before this occupy google thing actually happened where people set up camps i had a dream that somebody drove up a school bus um up to the f- the like two school buses up to each entrance of the google headquarters and then just like left them there took the keys and ran away And just like never were to be found again and then like from there then people started to like go into the google campus and it became like really hard for them to actually be taken out so like i mean this this the whole geography of silicon valley is actually pretty wide open for that type of activity and and i mean there's a lot of different places that you could focus this rage at and there could be you know theoretically there could be encampments at all these different places um And I think people could pick and choose which ones they want to go to. You know, if people particularly hate Google, um, they can go there. If people really hate Apple, they can go there. And they're really only within like 10 miles of one another. Um, But should we go into the history of like the um, military industrial complex roots with Silicon Valley now? Yeah. Before we sort of go into the specific yeah problems with these corporations
1: yeah but i wanted to also say the fact that we cannot go occupy the nsa
0: <laughs> like, Yeah, exactly i mean yeah. we
1: are we, dc is so crazy like the CIA, nsa you can't you can't even get a photo that's why when trevor paglin like released those photos when the intercept first launched of an area the first aerial flyover of the actual nsa building that's how secretive it is you can't even fucking get there
0: yeah you're not even allowed to the only photo that existed was like their own photo right their own stock
1: photo and it's so funny every time and we're covering the nsa quite a bit at rt (laughs) every single time it's the same stock image of like this pan over the nsa logo and i'm just like god damn it if i see this one more time yep one more time go go for it
0: well you know speaking of trevor paglin um he's from the silicon valley too and i think he he did quite a bit of Of his own work about these military contractors in California, different places around the West Coast that were sort of like technology companies, like companies that would launch satellites for the government or make rockets for the government, like Lockheed Martin. To me, I I wasn't surprised to find this out, but I mean, it is still a little bit shocking just how deep this goes, is that Silicon Valley itself started as part of the defense industry post-World War II. The whole tech economy in California, the Bay Area specifically, revolved around the technology that that was developed in World War II. Part of the way that we won the aerial warfare in World War II is that there was all this technology being developed. They call it electronic intelligence, where when we would go up and, and bomb parts of Germany, we had this weird old school analog electronic way of actually mapping which places not to bomb as we were flying over. And then later, like, we figured out ways to disrupt German radar signals by like shooting out a strip of tinfoil out of the back of our airplanes as we were flying over these, doing these bombing raids. A lot of this technology was devised by a guy named Fred Terman of Stanford at the time. And Stanford is in Palo Alto, also the home of, of Facebook. He's considered the father of Silicon Valley. He was like the US's go-to guy to develop and be in charge of these technology programs during World War II. So after World War II ended, the government essentially gave him a shitload of grants while he was at Stanford. You know how nowadays it seems like a lot of universities do work for the US government or the defense industry, like a lot of the research is funded by the Pentagon? Well, it goes back to this guy. He was one of the first people to get funded at a university to do work for the government and he de- and he started devising new technology doing research at Stanford and using their laboratories to do work for the US government, specifically the Pentagon. And he was also a professor at Stanford. Some of his students include the Hewlett and Packard brothers, who obviously wow. later started uh, Hewlett Packard. And, and this is a weird thing that he would do is he would use government grant money the government let him manipulate and put this money into places that weren't really spo- there weren't really supposed to go they just sort of looked the other way and what what he did was he used government grant money for weapons technology research and gave degrees to his students bef- way before they would have been able to graduate like he would actually give essentially fraudulent degrees <laughs> to students who were very early in his program and give them also government grant money And tell them to go start their own companies based on the research that he would teach. So in this weird way, it was almost sort of like he was this middleman for all these very early defense industry companies in Silicon Valley started by his students. And all these really young students um, straight out of college, well, I should say straight out of like pre-graduation became rich very, very quickly. So he, he essentially took U.S. military technology research, which was almost exclusively always done on military bases and military facilities before, he took that concept into academia. So now any college campus you go to anywhere in the United States is most likely doing some kind of government research. I mean, weapons research specifically for, for the Pentagon. So Stanford becomes a location of of what was referred to as excellence for the NSA and CIA back in the start of the Cold War um, from 1949 on because of all this signals intelligence and electronic intelligence research. Because thinking back to the beginnings of the Cold War, Sputnik, all these different rockets, um, guidance systems, since it was rarely ever what they call a hot war it was almost always about trying to race the Soviet Union with our technology, and back then the technology was very much based around electronic and signals intelligence, which was almost exclusively being developed in Silicon Valley, and then eventually, of course, you know, Silicon Valley, IBM computers, Hewlett Packard, some of the first actual military computers that were devised um, for you know a whole variety of things. Um, you know, too many, too many uses to even mention. And there's a guy actually um, who wrote this really good research paper up. For some reason, it's not published online, but you can—I don't know what university he did it at. Oh, Baruch College in New York. Um, his name's Thomas Heinrich. I'll read a little bit from his paper here. He says that Silicon Valley is frequently portrayed as a manifestation of post-industrial entrepreneurship where ingenious inventor businessmen and venture capitalists forged a dynamic, high-tech economy unencumbered by government's, quote, heavy hand. Closer examination reveals that government played a major role in launching and sustaining some of the region's core industries through military contracting, focusing on leading firms in the microwave electronics, missile, satellite, and semiconductor industries, This article argues that demand for customized military technology encouraged contractors to embark on a course of flexible specialization. Thriving through much of the Cold War, military contractors fell on hard times and defense markets started to shrink in the late 1980s. It says, but Pentagon funding for research and development helped lay the technological groundwork for a new generation of startups contributing to Silicon Valley's economic renaissance in the 1990s. There was some other history about Silicon Valley or the start of Silicon Valley that I completely neglected to mention. And this is something that actually is closely related to our family. Abby. And uh, I sent you a picture last week and there's not a whole lot of backstory about it besides what we sort of anecdotally know from hanging out at family gatherings and talking to our relatives. But basically, um, our grandpa, um, Harry Serdelli had a brother named Lindy Serdelli. And, you know, I was told growing up that he worked with the US military and, and helped build rocket parts for them and stuff. But I I found out recently that he actually had a government contract dependent uh, company of his own making in Santa Clara, California, back in nineteen sixty one called Linco Engineering. And Linko Engineering, the only information you can really find out online is that they built rocket parts for the United States government. And if you look at some um, pamphlets and breakdowns of all the military equipment that was used during the Cold War, you find his company name mentioned numerous times in these records. So like it'll show a picture of an airplane and it'll say like, rocket turbines, such and such component provided by Lincoln Engineering so he was deeply involved in sort of this economic boom we were describing earlier in our broadcast, but there's a whole nother angle to, to our uncle that we only really heard as sort of like innuendo and rumors growing up. And I'm sure you remember this, Abby, that, yeah. that he had potential mob connections. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, we, we didn't, we just knew about his potential mob connections before we didn't know anything about his connections to Silicon Valley and the defense yeah, we just industry. Always this thought, is like,
1: Oh, he's like, you know, the Italian family, like friends with all these boxers and shit. We didn't really like ever think more about that because we didn't really know him that well growing up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the boxers are boxers that, you know, back during an era when like boxers, the famous boxers were all white be- before the era of like Mike Tyson and even Muhammad Ali. It turns out that, that our uncle, uh, Lindy Sirdelli, our great uncle he actually hired all these famous boxers to do like essentially probably like fake work at his company just so he could put them on the uh, essentially what was the government payroll because he was completely <laughs> dependent on these government contracts that and there's a ridiculous picture well first let me mention that it wasn't just that he was friends with these boxers, that he probably, I mean, we know that he like wined and dined them. We know that grandpa used to work for Linco Engineering and he actually quit. Grandpa quit from this company because he was so horrified because he was the bookkeeper at the time for the company. And he was horrified by Lindy just... Spending all this money he was getting from the government on completely erroneous expenses, like flying these boxers to Las Vegas and back, <laughs> and extremely expensive dinners and, and prostitutes and oh, women. Well, and, I'm,
1: I mean, at least Grandpa, like, you know. Yeah, I mean, he, he
0: jumped ship, you know. He was. And there's a funny story that Grandpa uh, used to tell us, or I don't even know if he told us. He probably just told our parents because it was probably like two. Disturbing to actually tell us as children, but on one of these trips to Las Vegas, um, on link on the Lincoln Engineering dime, essentially the U.S. government dime, they flew in a private plane to Las Vegas. Um, he took Grandpa and a few other people, and the pilot was actually drunk flying <laughs> to Las Vegas. So <laughs> our Grandpa was like terrified because he was already afraid of flying, and it, and the pilot was drunk as well. Um, you know, and back then everybody you know, drank highballs and cocktails and stuff. Some of the boxers that worked at Linco and were given were given these front jobs was uh, Mar- Rocky Marciano, uh, was a customer relations executive for Linco Engineering. Gene Tunney. Also worked uh, in Linco Engineering. And uh, there's a picture you can find on Google. If you search for Willie Pep and Linco, Linco is spelled L-I-N-C-O. Willie Pep was another famous boxer. And there's like a PR photo from Linco Engineering of him, Uncle Lindy's showing Willie Pep how to like take apart some rocket engine or something in the subtitle under it says pep is doing some research while working for linko in santa clara california didn't anyone He's think with- it was
1: weird that a bunch of boxers were just hired <laughs> to like know, assemble right? rockets
0: yeah it would be it would be extremely bizarre if you like opened up a silicon valley like weapons contractor thing now and then just hired like all these famous basketball players <laughs> to like wear a suit and is then so just, like, come corrupt
1: in. and weird
0: no it is it's just so i mean If that's any insight into the potential corruption and the the weird, you hear all these rumors about the open door relationship between the mob, gambling rings, the CIA, the US government. And this is just sort of like scratching the surface of this because we don't really know very much about it. We just know that throughout our whole childhoods we were just, it was sort of like, he was infamous for this. And there's even pictures of, like, our mom and and, uh, and her brother, like, hanging out with Rocky Marciano and Uncle Lindy as children and stuff. So, very fascinating um, it's little backstory there.
1: bizarre, Robbie. Absolutely <laughs> bizarre. It's just, shit just keeps getting weirder. I was just thinking on a side note really quick. Um it almost seems like silicon valley you know in, the, in that new show too on hbo silicon yeah. valley yeah. it just seems like that's one of the last places that people still believe that the american dream can happen or something there's like this weird mindset of like all these like really young
2: yeah well it can if you drink people, the you know? i
0: mean that's the thing like if you can somehow let like believe in what they believe in because they all a lot of these companies still project some kind of like ethos about helping the world mm. Especially Google and Apple. So it's, it is kind of like a little bit cult like compared to just working for a normal, <laughs> typical corporation. And I think that that's, that's sort of part of it is that's how they get you to like, I mean, and, and like,
1: Yeah, no, you're no dude. Think about this. Like you're, you're part of this mantra. Like we're taking over the world and therefore we're like changing the world because it's inevitable that we're going to be like everywhere and pervading every, you know, so pervasive among everything. But shouldn't that be a cause of alarm? Like for the people who are involved, like, yeah, it's really cool that they treat their employees. Well, like thank fucking God. I mean, there's a bunch of other companies that treat employees like shit, but at the same time, you have to question like the kind of worshiping mentality of these companies and say like, wait, that, that isn't necessarily good to say or inevitably, inevitably going to take over like every single way that you process information and use it to exploit you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it's completely absurd. <laughs> um, Keep going. Uh, so some of the, one of the main companies that I think is worth mentioning that, that, made, that put Silicon Valley on the map was Lockheed Martin. Lockheed missile in space, and they did spy satellites, missiles. They did um, even strategic defense. They did they did all these different things. By the early nineteen sixties, I'm quoting here from a, a paper called "The Secret History of Silicon Valley" by a guy named Steve Blank. And ironically enough, he did a talk at at Google when they used to have all a lot of these like anti-government people talk there. They even had Noam Chomsky do like a Google talk years and years ago. He says that by the early 1960s, Lockheed Missile Division in Sunnyvale was quickly becoming the largest employee in what would be later called Silicon Valley. I mean, they essentially built probably most of the missiles that our nuclear warheads go on to. They built a lot of our satellites, a lot of our defense satellites. What's kind of interesting, if you go down to Sunnyvale where they're located, you know, technically they're in Sunnyvale, but they're really only like a couple miles down the road from Google. Um, And Google is in Mountain View. But the thing is with Silicon Valley, a lot of these cities are extremely close. Like a lot of the companies in these cities are very close to one another, even though they're in different cities. Like Apple is in Cupertino and Facebook is in Palo Alto. But they're very, very located in a very small area. Also, Google's campus used to be owned by Silicon Graphics, which also bought the Cray supercomputing company which at that point, Cray supercomputers were almost exclusively used by the U.S. government to do like high-powered calculations and, and simulations like that. So like at the Lawrence Livermore Lab, most of their computers running these high-powered simulations were either Sun Microsystems or Silicon Graphics or Cray computers. There's, there are so many defense contractors that are specifically focused on the Pentagon in Silicon Valley to this day. There's Ford Aerospace. There's FMc, GTE, Westinghouse, Electronic Systems Laboratories, 3M, Watkins Johnsons, United Technologies. Here are some other companies that that don't do all of their work with the defense industry, but but a lot of it is um, Honeywell, Northrop Grumman, uh, Grumman uh, Finissar, <laughs> Spirit. Um, SAIC, uh, Schneider Electric, Anderson Audiovisual, BBI Construction, Beemans Incorporated, Halcrow Incorporated, Kimley Horn and Associates, TCOM, TSG Solutions, URS, Michael Williams Architects. There, yeah, there are just so many. I mean, there, it's almost impossible to list them all. I think also there's another company that's more recent called Planeteer Technologies that coincidentally enough, was co-founded by uh, pa- uh, the partner of Pierre Omidyar and PayPal, not Pierre Omidyar, but the other wow. guy. Um, and Planeteer Technologies is kind of like a very sophisticated software platform that, that does intelligence gathering. And it's made mostly uh, for the government activities. It was founded in 2004, in part with $2 million from the Central Intelligence Agency's venture capital firm, uh, venture capital arm, Planeteer makes software that has illuminated terrorist networks and figured out safe driving routes through a war-torn Baghdad. It has also tracked car thieves, helped in disaster recovery and traced salmonella outbreaks. That's
1: insane.
0: So it's kind of like a privatized version of Promise. You know, that software that Mike Rupert used to mention a lot, that the right. Reagan administration was using throughout the eighties and then, you know, supposedly was, was would also monitor the stock market that should have seen that the airline stocks had all these put options on them and That's a whole nother subject but um and that's pretty much it i mean today as i read from that little paper that they did have a renaissance in the 90s and it mostly revolved around internet um, companies and even facebook was co-funded in part by the cia venture capitalist firm so i think it's pretty safe to say that you know there really has not been that much separation between corporations and government in this country since after world war ii and i think that the government you know helped and wanted the this sort of internet tech sector of silicon valley to thrive in the 90s um so that they could eventually use it i mean you know i don't know how sophisticated the nsa was like in the 80s but I don't know. I mean, I I think that it's like it makes more sense to me that the government saw a lot of potential with Facebook and Google and all these companies and just knew that at some point they would eventually serve them in, in one way or the other, either by stealing their data from a back door or just going through the front door and demanding that they give them the data.
1: Yeah, it's incredible to see how much they've worked together from the beginning. I mean, the the advent of the military-industrial complex and how it's adopted technology and how they've just used and utilized all of these tech companies from the beginning to help expand that. And it's, yeah, you're right, it never has stopped, really.
0: I mean, we were pretty much, we were all still on analog phone lines and we were all using like AOL and like CompuServe to talk to each other. And what's weird to me is there's, there's so many little hints and instances, you know, you could, you could go back to the, to the nineties. I remember seeing an episode of like one of those crime shows. I don't remember which one it was, but they had a a murder case on it. I think maybe it was like a murder that happened in like 2001 or something where, they proved that the guy was guilty of killing his wife by looking at AOL instant messenger chat logs that weren't on his computer and they somehow were able to subpoena AOL and ask them for these re- chat records which i thought was immediately strange because i didn't even it didn't even cross my mind that AOL would have actually been storing everybody's chat records like they're making their own chat logs do you understand what i'm saying right but apparently back then even AOL was doing that where the government could go in and somehow go back into the past and get these things. That just reminded me of something else that we learned recently with the Sarnev brothers is like, bef- even before the, um, yeah. I think it was before we learned about Prism, or maybe not, but uh, it was like one of the Sarnev brothers accomplices, I guess one of the kids that helped him or they were able to go back into his like old text messages and voicemails after the fact wasn't right. stuff that he did after they were already surveilling him at the warrant. It was that they went back into the past and found text messages to prove that he was an accomplice.
1: Yeah. The retroactive pros- prosecution. Yeah. That Snowden was talking about They already have a database on you. It doesn't matter if you're using, yeah. you know, it's like, it's already all there.
0: It doesn't matter <laughs> like, if the, it's the government already has it or if like these corporations right. was handed over would, for whatever reason without a warrant. I think,
1: I think the, the, <laughs> It's hard It's hard to pinpoint how this all happened. Like now that knowing, you know, how much they really did work together, but I think it's hard to pinpoint this trust. And I think it really goes back to the internet, like the total anarchistic nature of the internet when it first started, everything was just totally free peer to peers before really any of these stipulations went into effect and before we even saw like remotely any clampdown. And so we saw these industries pop up thinking that it was like almost anti-establishment in a way yeah it was I remember, like undermining this like you know what i mean Let's yeah
0: like- and and like people who were really anti-government back when the internet first started would like remind people yeah this is you know this is actually a um you know as free as this feels you got to you know remember this is actually a technology developed by the u.s military i remember that was talked about a lot more back then when people were more anarchist and more openly like you know, fuck the system back on the internet when there was a lot of more illegal activity. It was sort of like that was a more public knowledge that, yeah, the internet, as free as it feels now, just remember that the US government was like behind the invention of it. Right. And so in the end, it's still a trap. I mean, it, in some ways it does make logical sense that if you really want to like protest the system to just completely get off of it. But again, to actually like form a groundswell, you you kind of, you have to use the internet to do it. But I do think it would be a healthy thing for society in general to do eventually is if there's not some kind of self-contained independent internet alternative to eventually wean yourself off of it. Because if it's bad now and this taken over by corporate entities, right. it's just going to get worse.
1: It's just so unfortunate. And it, but at the same time, yeah, it is like a trap because you see repressive governments, the first thing they do is ban like social media and things on the internet. And so, you know, it's a, you know, it's a huge revolutionary tool that if we were to utilize it in the right ways, it would be amazing and, you know, unmatched. But at the same time, all of this data is being collected to use against us constantly when we're not using it for revolutionary purposes. Like it's all being used against us pretty much. It's just,
0: yeah, yeah, it's like hugely convenient. We're all being used to like pregame our behavior so that they can sell us more shit
1: like if you have like a private account of course like yeah it kind of goes against what we're saying is that you know psychos from facebook can still use any that the government can still use any of it but in terms of just privacy in society i guess i don't understand just this total exhibitionist i have zero anything that i want to hide about my personal life and i'm just going to put it like completely out online that that i don't understand because that really is giving over everything To the government and these corporations and so i just i mean i think that at least we don't have to do that
0: (laughs) yeah i mean that's i mean if you if you're the type of person where you can be like an exhibitionist and you just don't give a shit at all and then i guess my only suggestion is just like take it take it all the way to the then like just like make it more exciting if you're that type of person just like fucking every time you go on the internet, just like take like naked pictures of yourself. That's how you feel <laughs> like on Facebook, like posts, like complete like dick pics or like nu- like nude selfies, like all the time. I mean, yeah, obviously your account would get suspended awfully quickly, but I wanted to go back to what you said really quickly about what were you just saying about Google?
1: The, the emergence of Google and like Facebook, how they started was kind of the counter culture. Like that whole like online freedom and that's how these companies got to where they are. And so I think that's why people trust them because we all like grew up with them getting big because it was like in this complete sense of everything was neutral, like everyone had a fair chance. And so it was like we saw these small dogs get huge, you know?
0: Yeah, which is, it's deceptive. I mean, anybody who gets that huge, especially if you become public, you're completely driven by profit and the people who sit on your board. I mean, it's all over at that point. I just don't know of any company. You can't have morals. (laughs) It just doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why I was saying earlier, like you mentioned LavaBit, that that's the most moral thing to do, I think, you know, and a company that's public can't do that. That's, that can't happen. You can't just be like, A board member and convince all the other board members to close the company it just that's not you can't there's no way that would happen so um it's like before you become public is you still have power to be just like you know what fuck it you're not going to get anything i'm going to like destroy it all and that's i think the best hope that we have as far as these companies changing at least for me i mean i don't know i i don't have very much faith that facebook or google are going to become like more ethical companies i just i just don't have any faith like that and that was the problem with reset the net is there was even a a slogan in reset the net that said don't trust carriers buy your android phone directly from google so it's like what that that means like the carriers are more um, right unethical than google i mean i'm sorry but maybe we should talk Specifically about Google now, if so Eric many...
1: Schmidt was going out there every day and giving these giant lengthy conferences and like debating Hayden about how fucked up this is and how like outraged he is, maybe I would take that a little bit more seriously. But like, yeah, other than this feigned outrage about the Google backdoor and like the you know all these little things that have come out like trickled out with the leaks, I haven't really seen that of you.
0: No, not at all. And and this so this will be the Google section. And I just wanted to tell people there are two locations of Google in the Bay Area. One of them is in Mountain View. Um, it's 1600 Amphitheater Parkway in Mountain View, California. That's the that's their main headquarters. And they have a satellite location, which is where the people were doing the, the bus uh, protests. Um, that one is at 345 Spear Street in San Francisco. And you just mentioned Eric Schmidt. He seems like very sociopathic, like probably a lot of these um, CEOs are. He's even said of his own company's voice recognition technology, this is a quote, the quality of voice recognition is really, really scary. <laughs> 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 it is. It is it is really, really scary. And that's what I was saying on the last broadcast, that with all this recorded phone call information, the better these voice recognition algorithms get, they're just going to be able to fucking like, control F find anything we're talking about through our like phone calls you know in text mm-hmm. at some point I mean if not already and Eric Eric Schmidt said this on privacy in 2009 if you have something that, that you don't want anyone to know maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the first place what yeah. Which is hilarious to me because this is a fucking, one of those like CEO guys who, like he goes to Burning Man and shit and he's got like this giant, like $2 million like camper that he brings and shit mm-hmm. uh, down to Burning Man. He's probably one of these CEOs that like takes acid once a year, thinks he like sees God and, you know, just thinks that he's like untouchable, that he doesn't do anything wrong or immoral. And it turns out just like a lot of these other oligarch elites, he's, he has multiple mistresses, in different countries one of them he's goes to bernie man with while his wife is at home in california i think he lives in california and he's made them all sign non-disclosure agreements no where way. where they they can get fucking sued if they tell anything to the press about them being his That's mistress disgusting there's a whole daily mail article of it that has pictures of him with all the different mistresses so th- it's just funny that he would say well if you're not doing anything wrong i mean maybe his him and his wife have an arrangement but still He knows that that would hurt his standing. I mean, he'd probably have to step down as CEO if that was like a blew up into a big story.
1: Well, and also, why is he hiding it? Just
0: fucking put it out there, bro. Yeah, if if it's not wrong, dude, fucking. Why do you have people
1: sign non disclosure agreements? Yeah.
0: (laughs) So he understands that privacy is important when it comes to your standing as like a CEO of a multi billion dollar company. So why doesn't he apply that same standard to people who, you know, might not want a picture of them smoking a joint searchable on you know, Google images for like infinity, you know, like what, you know, it's just, right. it's just funny to me that that's his, um, apparently what, how he thinks that's fucking hysterical. Yeah.
1: Talk about hypocritical.
0: Yeah. There's been so many scandals about Google's technology over the years, uh, that this go- new, most recent biggest one was the Google email sniffer thing. Um, it's almost dwarfed in comparison to some of the other things that they've done. Uh, back in, 2012, Google View or Google Street View cars, uh, quote Wi-Fi sniffed, uh, a.k.a. spied on unsuspecting people's Wi-Fi networks while going around doing Google Street View photography. And this was not just like, oh, like a, an, an employee or a disgruntled employee or a bored, stoned employee just trying to spy on people's Wi-Fi activity. This is a fucking company-wide policy. What? Yeah. It was like they told they had a device in the fucking thing that would suck up That's people's insane. Wi-Fi traffic. Yeah, isn't that weird? So it was Dude. like it's creepy ass corporate surveillance. That is creepy. It's if it's not creepy enough that they're photographing everyone's front yard so they can everyone can see your license plate and car on the internet it's super creepy that they would also be so it almost served a dual purpose like why were they driving around all these neighborhoods hey while we're out there we might as well also like see what people are doing on the internet because that can help our company so like we're wow. doing all putting all this man or spending all this gas driving around these cars fuck it let's just spy on people too like
1: yeah and when not? the technology is going to get better Police agencies, they've already kind of like tried to test this out and I don't know if it's actually Google Maps or whatever or Google Earth, but it's going to be essentially that same exact technology that was, you know, basically invented by Google where police agencies everywhere are just going to have like a real-time full city surveillance real-time.
0: Yeah, they're like DVR where they can yeah. like highlight no, a little exa- area no, and they like really DVR are. back in time. Like
1: literally that's what's going to happen. Yeah. They've already tested it out in a couple cities and like... The reason that they didn't go forward with it, because it wasn't good enough yet, where it's like they weren't able to zero in on someone's face and like facially recognize them.
0: (laughs) So. Pretty pretty interesting. I mean, yeah, if that, that's, I mean, that's horrible. People might not remember this, but I remember Microsoft was actually the first company or website on the internet to actually have satellite photography of the, of most of the planet. And I remember it was on it was called like terraserver microsoft.terraserver.com or something. It was just like it was a really obscure website that not many people knew about and then all of a sudden it blew up into this like thing where it was like oh now like Google has these maps and stuff and I I just remember thinking it was so strange because up until that point you were sort of taught as a child that you know oh that you know the government ha- can see that kind of stuff but yeah. no one else can. And so it was just really strange that all of a sudden it was like now we could see it which kind of seemed really cool at first because i was like oh shit. i can see like you know my old house and and you know see what the backyard looks like and you, it was like exciting i remember when i first started looking at all that satellite photography and then it just kept getting better and better quality um, until eventually it was like oh now we're gonna do street view and you're like what wait what street view right and then where you he- can actually
1: defer where someone lives if you like <laughs> yeah. look at it and you like zoom out enough, you're like well that's where this house is it's just yeah.
0: bizarre did you hear about the time where Street View hit a, a mule and killed it in, in Africa? Pardon? Um, one of the Street View cars that was going like in some obscure neighborhood <laughs> in Africa. It's on street. Like you can still see them <laughs> killing the mule. It's alive as they're driving up to it. And then as it passes it, it's dead on the ground. <laughs> no joke. They actually murder. They actually murdered a. <laughs> so mule. that's one
1: other downside is the murdering of animals that they're just like yeah, distracted like, filming yeah. all the cars. Great. If
0: the surveillance is that good that they're doing it, like their own, you can watch their own employees killing animals.
1: <laughs> Holy shit!
0: Yeah, it's weird. And I then mean, they have this weird <laughs> tourism thing out of it now, where people have set up like tourism attractions where you can see what it's like to go through like a the red light district in Paris and all this weird shit. What? It's it's just weird, dude.
1: That is so fucked up. Seriously, think about that. You can't even walk down a fucking street anymore without thinking that a stranger might be watching you from across the world, getting off on some weird tourist Google Earth shit.
0: There's absolutely no going back. So disturbing. It's become so normalized, especially in like the last five years. You know, it's there's no way we can go back to how it was before. No, we
1: can't go back to how it was before i just i'm scared of where it's gonna go oh, i remember yeah,
0: me too so that's why almost like if you really wanted to be truly off the grid and not be able to be tracked by anyone you can't have any public utilities in your name you can't really even have a driver's license um or if you do you, you don't put your own name i mean you have to like basically act like you're a CIA agent undercover
1: <laughs> and then of course that's what's going to target you <laughs> yeah
0: yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's going to so put like, you
1: under more surveillance
0: <laughs> exactly yeah and that's that's exactly right and that's that's the that's the whole paradox of all this is that if if your goal is like not to do anything to fuck with the government at all and you just want to be completely off the grid they'll just think automatically you're a terrorist <laughs> Sad. and then they'll yeah and then they'll watch you oh yeah. man really quickly i'll go through some of the rest of the, yeah. the bad things that google did so google sort of normalized the idea of location based searching as well which looking back on it it does seem like kind of a weird insidious privacy violation to just like automatically determine your physical location and then like give you search results based on that that's insane and that's totally normalized now
1: no, that's crazy. And, yeah, I remember someone like in in Europe or something, and then they compared their Google search results to someone who was doing the exact same thing in America. They weren't logged into anything, and it was a, like a hundred percent different.
0: Yeah, and that's oh, yeah. Oh, that's and, fucked
1: up, man. It because gives you, that's, it gives
0: you tunnel vision. I mean, the internet used to be the whole world at your fingertips. Um, find anything you want. The search results will always be search the broadest zone possible. But now you have to actually. Do a lot of due diligence to make sure that you're not logged in or you're not getting some sort of weird location cookie that is filtering <laughs> or creating this tunnel effect on your results, or it's only giving you a small segment or prioritizing the results based on other information that you've provided to it. And that's the problem with the Google email sniffer also is that maybe when it gets more sophisticated, then it'll actually help our search results that way too. quote help uh, the results. And remember when Gmail first came out, they got a lot of people into it, a lot of more techie people into it by making it an invite only thing where you literally had to be invited by someone who already had an account. So it almost had this built in like, oh, it made me feel like elite, kind of like in this little club that i got invited to gmail yeah like only
1: members of this little club can use it it's like way more safe and secure
0: and they did the same thing too with like a monetizing youtube videos like they would you would have to enter into a certain tier of views um you know for a long time uh to get monetized youtube videos or to even get up oh no it was to upload videos more longer than a certain amount You couldn't upload videos over 10 minutes long unless you had 10,000 views or something. On like like. Google Video or whatever? No, this was on YouTube. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and even going back before that, I mean, it was wonderful. It seemed amazing that Google was providing the Google Video service for so many years. I mean, it was this awesome new thing. The video streamed really smoothly, almost all, all, you know, on whatever internet connection existed at the time. And I think things started to turn... For me, at least, I remember it seemed like a completely open platform and that and it was like, you know, democratized. One of the first things like that, where you could like put up art and have it be like democratized on the front page, like the most viewed thing would get up there no matter what it was, right? But I remember when Loose Change, I think it was Loose Change 2nd Edition, um, became the most viewed video. But Because that was pretty much the only metric at the time was Google Video, the most viewed online video of all time. Um, Yeah. And mysteriously, it kept getting knocked off of the front page, even though technically you would always go look at the view count and it would have the highest view count. And for some reason, somebody at Google decided, they made a corporate decision to not allow the democratizing process of Google Video to actually operate the way it was supposed to. And they kept either resetting the view counts, shaving off views or just knocking it off the front page. And I remember even at the time I was kind of like, I don't really know if I believe this. It seems like, you know, that, you know, why would they be so afraid of this video? Like, does that mean it's true and all this stuff? But now looking back on it, it was probably just like they didn't want to like piss off the U.S. government too much. Because even though it was intended to be a democratized system, totally free speech, you know, the the most viewed video goes to the top, it might not... I mean, because what if like a Ku Klux Klan video went to the top right, exactly. or something? So somebody made an executive decision. They were like, this, you know what, We this is just too... It's just too... Um, exposes us a little too much. It makes it seem like we're advocating for this or something. I right. guarantee you... Of course. A decision to do that. And then eventually they removed Google Video, which seemed really unnecessary to me right i don't understand why they did i mean with all the crap and the stupid ass shit that's uploaded to youtube these days of people like opening boxes they get in the mail and why on earth would they have to remove google video the database as it existed was probably like a tiny fraction of the amount of space that youtube takes up now so it doesn't make any sense even from like a monetary perspective and maybe it was to clear out some of those more because Google Video probably had a much higher ratio of like good, you know, yeah, like good high quality documentaries, good conspiracy videos, good documentaries, documentaries uploaded by people who tended to be more mature, learn, more intelligent, more knowledgeable about their history. You know, they wouldn't just upload a rant of them ranting about reptilian shapeshifters for like an hour with like terrible quality like audio. So there was like a little bit of a higher bar, I think, too, because there was just less people on the internet also. Now, like everybody, Dude, anybody can upload a video. It is so
1: fucking awful now. Like, and then now YouTube and Google. Like, I can't even. I swear to God, I have two different Gmail accounts, and every time I log into one, it logs me out of my YouTube account. I'm like fucking hell why is this happening i know this is like super white people problems and really like entitlement of being like in the west and like this is my frustration but it is really frustrating when you're working all day on both platforms and for some fucking reason they synced up all this shit and it's just so frustrating it's so frustrating it's like why did they need to consolidate really like really like did you have to buy youtube or whatever did google buy
0: youtube yeah absolutely they did and oh and this is a another let's go into a little bit of discussion about oh YouTube my now.
1: god wait okay no no this is great because this is all on google's hands now this whole youtube not allowing indie artists now unless Absolutely, they buy into yeah. the subscription service
0: they were the that first that
1: defeats the whole purpose of youtube
0: yeah and this is another thing with youtube is they also even before a lot of the the conspiracy movement got taken over by like really extremist and like patriot movement kind of libertarian right-wing stuff They would still youtube would also like reset view counts or even delete people's youtube accounts for like 9 11 conspiracy videos this happened um after that google video loose change thing so there was already like censorship going on not based on their their terms it was like just arbitrary censorship at the time looking back on it i'm i'm more cynical now i i don't think there's any reason to have any faith in any big company like this that they will like actually even follow their own terms of service to censor things or, or or they will make the terms of service so open to interpretation that they can just censor whatever they want. But yeah, the, the YouTube copyright detection algorithm, um, I don't know if the Shazam company, that stupid app for the iPhone invented this technology, but it's been around for a while. And essentially what the technology is, is that it's, it does what's called a spectral comparison, where it looks at the frequency content of a sound file or even di- uh, video, um, like a video like like the color content and the pixels of a video and compares it to what they have in a database and if it matches up to things they have in the database that are copyrighted it won't even let you upload the content it'll stop you completely and this is
1: going to ruin youtube i hope everyone realizes how much because is- they're going to probably retroactively use this against everyone who's ever uploaded something that's copyrighted Well, that's
0: the weird thing about it is the sad thing, and this makes me, there's, there's, I'm of two minds when it comes to this subject. On one end of the spectrum, I'm an independent musician, and I would want to have control over if my music was uploaded to YouTube or not. And if it was uploaded by someone else, I would prefer that they put it up in lower quality. But what would happen if somebody uploaded like my full album and CD quality and didn't even link to like a place to buy it at or something like that? It would probably piss me off. And maybe I might even want YouTube to have my copyrighted information in their system so that if someone tried to upload something, it wouldn't allow them to. But the problem is, is that YouTube never like invited people like me to do that. These big corporations, these big media companies had this exclusive access and were just somehow made this deal with YouTube years and years ago without including anybody on the indie side of like the, the art spectrum. So it just seems a little bit unfair. It's like on one hand, if I try to upload a song I like, it won't work because some big corporation has given YouTube their copyright database. But Yeah, yeah, protected. no, that's exactly
1: the point, is that I'm the not people protected. who need to be protected aren't, and the people who don't need to be protected are. It's like that that like we should all be able to upload like parody songs and like fucking songs of like Lady Gaga. Oh yeah, and oh, yeah. And
0: that. that's the other thing too. It's like they don't distinguish, they're actually they're actually taking it a, a couple steps further than the actual copyright laws that exist in the books. They're using more strip co- strict copyright definitions where they're actually letting a robot decide if something's a parody or if it's like a literally like a bootleg rip of something. Right. I mean, that's what's happening. No, no, no. Yeah, no. That's a human being isn't going. Hmm. You know what? This upload is a little bit questionable. I'm gonna have to decide if this is a parody or if this is fair use or if this is
2: you know. No, and and think about how people have like
1: entire careers off YouTube now. Like this is gonna completely fuck up this entire network. Now we're gonna have to find another YouTube service. It's like, just why are you ruining everything? Why?
0: Yeah. I mean, even I don't know much about other better video streaming services but i mean i i even think something like vimeo is better the problem is is that youtube is free and that's what attracts people to it i mean it's you're extremely never going to be able user to compete with a company who's doing the same thing you're doing but completely free and you're charging like ten dollars a month for it but vimeo doesn't have the same terms of service they don't have the copyright algorithm inside um And, you know, even torrent websites are a good way to distribute videos. Like if you want to distribute videos and you want to use copyrighted content, fucking torrent, you're, you know, if you want to use a documentary and use clips from copyrighted content or make a music mix that has copyrighted content, um, there's a website that competed with SoundCloud and took a lot of way, took a lot of their DJ business away. It's called MixCloud. Um, yeah, and com. you know what?
1: Fuck SoundCloud, Robbie. that uh, It took down so many of our radio shows. I don't even know what to do yeah. now. It's we just had, like a keep 10 second it.
0: clip of like a fucking Giorgio Moroder song in one of our episodes, and five years ago, when we did the episode, nobody gave a, a shit. I'm sorry to say that about georgio motor but I mean, I love his music, but most people didn't give a shit about him until Daft Punk came out and did a song with him. He probably didn't even think to be like, you know what? I'm gonna make sure nobody can upload my songs to the internet. Yeah. He wanted to like get some more attention and musically. So, and that's, and apparently his publishing company has now blocked anybody using a 10 second clip of his song of bumper music on your fucking Yeah. And so
1: if people are wondering why are like some of our episodes are taken down and all of these different amazing media roots, music radio show things that ATOP made, they're
0: all like being taken down too. Did a fucking amazing job. So I recommend anybody out there, don't use soundcloud no and i think we're gonna have to probably gotta get move off out this out robbie of eventually but the problem is we have so much so many people have linked to our I podcasts know. and we could just leave leave what's already there there i mean we'll, we'll talk about that later yeah but, but yeah fuck soundcloud if you're a dj you make a mix go to MixCloud. there's no robot deciding if you're because i mean what is a dj it's someone who yeah, plays exactly. copyrighted material <laughs> And why is it that a radio host of a radio station can play copyrighted material? The FCC allows them to, but I'm I can't be like I'm going to do a radio station from my house and upload it to the internet and do the same thing. I mean, why can't I do that? It just it's another. It's like you know, people say we have a a two tiered justice system, but we also have like a multi tiered copyright protection system as well. I mean, and that is kind of ties into the, the multi-tier Well, and it all goes system, back but,
1: into the whole absurd shit about patents. Like, I hate to get too off topic, but the whole Amazon patenting, the photographic technique of taking a photo in front of a white background. It's just like having all these patents, and then it's like just the fear of a lawsuit for someone who, if, if let's say like you or I, like make it big, and then yeah. the last thing that we'd ever think of is that Amazon would sue us for like taking a photo of our product. But technically, they could. It's just like another way for these corporations to just fuck with you. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: and it's and it's um, you know, they talk about a lot about Pierre Omidyar buying or or starting First Look on two hundred fifty million dollar budget. Um, Jeff Bezos from Amazon was he bought the Washington Post I think for two hundred fifty million dollars, and you know, it's just it just shows you it's not just that these industries are like you know this the rich guys clued with each other. It's like they. I think they understand that a lot of the times they can actually have their finger on the pulse of like the human condition as it unfolds in real time, because they have access to these metrics that not even the government has this easy of access to. Amazon.com, just knowing what kind of tastes people have in literature you can learn so much about someone just that way. And it's not just books they sell on Amazon. They sell everything. Oh, no, 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 it's now.
1: everything. Yeah. And
0: that's the thing. It's like, since they sell more types of products than anywhere else, I mean, imagine the type of behavior pattern you can map of someone. That data is very valuable.
1: And a- okay. A couple things about Amazon. They are horrible, Robbie. I <laughs> not only that whole Jeff Bezos wa- buying, you know, buying an, an entire newspaper that's a, like one of the quote most well trusted newspapers in America. Not only the fact that he bought that, not only the fact that he's hosting the cloud for the fucking CIA, but on top of that, Amazon just as a company is terrible i'll buy stuff amazon because it's fucking easy and convenient i get amazon gift cards and i'll buy like literally like manila envelopes or something to ship art and those will come in a gigantic box full of styrofoam little cubes and you're just like why don't you just send this in another manila envelope like why am i getting a gigantic box full of styrofoam full of styrofoam
0: have you heard of the terrible stopwatch challenges they make their employees do yes like whoever can pick the fastest tell
1: people about this this is insane
0: yeah i mean essentially they actually measure how fast an employee can pick an item off of the shelf from an order getting submitted on amazon so they
1: give people like a little timer so like they give people like these little robots they treat their customers like robots like they would they treat you as if you should be as efficient as a robot exactly like they time
0: you and it's not like someone's sitting there with a stopwatch measuring you it's like they have you have a device on your fucking body right it's like wearable technology i mean this is like it seems extremely dystopian but it's like and you know it's amazon yay like nothing wrong like but these employees are treated like shit i mean can you yeah. imagine wearing like a timer? i mean it's just
1: <laughs> and that and it gets even crazier than that it's like they're in these warehouses that are literally like miles long warehouses are so huge and they have to run around from one point to the warehouse to the next and they have to they're basically optimizing the fastest that you can go, that's what this little machine is accounting for. It's like accounting for the yeah. most efficient time period that it gets you from this place mm-hmm. to another. You're like you can't stop for breath, you can't stop for water. Bathroom breaks it cuts from your time. And then at the end of the day you log your little time and you get like docked points you like don't get rewarded and then everyone's given like a month trial period and if there aren't and this one woman i heard her talking about it it was insane and she said that she's a you know she's a young sprightly woman who thought that she did a really good job and she was like she was told that she was performing like at like 70 (laughs) percent at the end of the month and she was like what are you talking about i wow she was like, okay, just because I was like, f- like fucking sprinting constantly.
0: <sighs> yeah, and Amazon is one of those. <clears throat> they're one of the only two companies we'll be going over in a, more detail that is not in <clears throat> Silicon Valley proper. Amazon.com corporate offices are at one five one six Second Avenue in Seattle, Washington. And Microsoft, I believe, is also in Washington. The Microsoft corporate offices. Um and should we go into um facebook yeah yeah let's fucking so facebook is another company that is very close to uh google and lockheed martin they are at one six zero one willow road in menlo park california and sorry my cats are
1: being fucking crazy right now (laughs) they're just like sprinting around the entire house knocking everything over it's insane
0: um what's Um, happening As people probably remember, Facebook was one of the first like commercial internet or just like commercial products to fully implement automatic facial recognition technology. And when it first came out, this is the thing. They had to actually, Facebook has been doing this since the very beginning, but they had to change a key part of their policy when the facial recognition thing was implemented because it used to be that anyone could tag you in a photo and you didn't have the choice of whether you could approve it or not. Do you remember that? That's insane. And I remember someone like tagged you in a photo of like a gun, some like crazy Patriot movement, like guy. And I was just like, Holy shit. And like someone tagged me in some like picture of like a nun in lingerie. And I was just (laughs) like, this is really embarrassing. Like, I don't want (laughs) this on my wall, bro. Someone tagged me in a picture of smoking a joint, um, long time yeah. ago and stuff and i just it just was really infuriating so what facebook did is they knew that everybody was going to get like fucking pissed when they implemented this new facial recognition technology which can actually any photograph you upload it it can guess who it is in the photograph that's insane. now insane,
1: yeah that's so crazy
0: and you you have you can approve it now like it won't automatically show up on your wall if someone takes a picture of you or if no one even tags you in it but what's really creepy is you'll like be on facebook uploading a picture or even looking at someone else's untagged picture and when you highlight over their face it'll be like do you want to tag blank in this picture and sometimes it'll guess wrong like it'll it, mm-hmm. i thought my friend matt was this other guy i know named sean and it kept like saying do you want to tag, tag sean in this picture and i just thought it was really weird because it obviously wasn't him but most of the time it's actually it guesses accurately where it's like it knows who the person's face is in a brand new picture You've never uploaded before. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's really creepy in and of itself. Um, and this is a very recent thing that Facebook announced is that they're going to do, start doing Shazam style. And when I say Shazam style, I mean using the same technology that YouTube and SoundCloud use to block copyrighted material. Um, they're going to be using your microphones on your cell phone uh, to pick up status updates for you.
1: Wait, and actually
0: what? update your status for you if you choose to opt into this. So, wh- what do you I mean, mean? Okay. Facebook has announced that they're going to start using your microphone on your cell phone when you're using the Facebook app to listen to what you're doing in the background. So, no if you're like watching a TV way. show, if you're watching a TV what? show or listening to a song, it will actually update your status and say, like, watching blank tv show or this
1: no that's too much if that shit starts
0: happening i'm i'm done no it's real but abby you can opt out of it so it's voluntary like if you don't want to do it it's not a big deal bro. (laughs) and this is goes back to something i didn't even mention is that in 2006 um september 3rd of 2006 google announced that they were going to start eavesdropping through your microphone on your laptop or computer for marketing research purposes
1: yeah that i'm so happy you brought that up i completely forgot about that yeah and
0: can you imagine 2006 that's only one maybe one and a half years after um mark klein came out with his nsa secret room uh revelation so i mean back then like I don't even think like I believed it when I read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It It didn't register. It didn't
1: register. It sounded like something out of Minority Report where you're like, oh, that's such a crazy concept. Like, I can't actually imagine that happening.
0: But now Facebook is absolutely going to do the same thing. And
1: Wait, so that means this whole time Google has been doing that to us? No, that's
0: what I thought too. Well, I'm assuming they have been, but get this. They got so much public flack about it when they announced it that (laughs) they actually like reneged on it and said, we're not going to do it anymore. Them. I mean can you believe I don't trust
1: them, them. I don't trust anyone no why wouldn't why would anyone trust them but um, it's like crazy that like they announced it as if it was a good thing like hey yeah. guess what oh, yeah,
2: guys dude. we're gonna it like <laughs> yeah we're
0: gonna listen to you and your wife fucking and then yeah. like try to figure out like what you're doing and then like research shit about it I mean it's just absurd <laughs> oh speaking of like sex research this is an interesting factoid and this is I might be revealing a little too much about myself but well a friend showed this to me is that bing mm. the bing search, search engine have you ever used bing in your yeah, life
2: b-
1: bizarrely enough robbie i don't know what happened i didn't even reinstall my browser or anything yeah,
2: but it default all of a
1: sudden bing. everything just defaulted to bing and i <laughs> have no idea what happened i just ha- i'm too lazy to switch <laughs> this yeah. just happened like two days ago i was like why am i using bing, bing what is Rob? this
0: well so bing is- <laughs> bing has on it a, a probably the best video searcher on the entire internet and i think that they knew what they were doing when they made the search engine because google doesn't search through like x or mm-hmm. red tube and all that shit like when you search for video it doesn't use those but bing does it's probably like the best way to search for like porn videos online. Like, cause it searches all of them at once. No way. And that's really interesting because like, what, what are they doing with that data? Like if that catches on and I'm actually right about that, like, I don't even know if that's true that it's the best way to do that, but it seems like it's kind of like a secret thing that they don't really advertise about being for Good, obvious I'm reasons. I'm glad
1: Bing is my Bing now, but uh, I'm, glad I'm banging it up.
0: No, try it out. People listening <laughs> at home. It's, I mean, I'm not encouraging us to use these companies, but like, you know, in a pinch, like Bing Bing Video Search, man, it's shockingly like good. And that Mm. kind of data is really interesting too. Like what can corporations do with like our sexual preferences? Like even, you know- the deepest darkest secrets that we have that we don't even talk about on Facebook you know just like that's an, a whole nother interesting way to corporate um, but like you said but like
1: us. you said unless they are like literally like fucking telescreen style listening into our conversations and there's robots registering that and processing it perfectly and like actually analyzing that into what it means real time and real life I don't think that that could happen for a very long time I mean like you were saying the last time we talked about all this stuff they can't ever get inside of our head Heads. no yeah. matter how much they want to data mine us, no matter how much they want to collect. But looking at scour our information. Searches, sure. Like,
0: uh, that, sure. That oh, yeah. That gets into yeah. our heads like, in an interesting way that, that sure you know, that nobody sure. else really gets into. Like we right. we type things into there that we probably would never tell anybody. I mean, right. you know. Um so that's I think that's fascinating. But but yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, dude, I mean, yeah, he's uh he's just this like well meaning but like really autistic or like you know, Aspergery dude who like (laughs) wanted to get back at his girlfriend and blah, blah, blah. And he fucked up and stole the idea from the Winklevoss twins. And then like, you know, they sued him later. And, uh, and yeah, the social network is really glosses over the fucking damage he's done. Like (laughs) to society. I mean, (sighs) it's, they make it seem like in that movie that he's just this like guy that had something so big, he didn't know what to do with. And he was just like this naive, but really hyper genius, guy who didn't really understand what he had but i don't think that i mean even if that's true it doesn't give him any no. pass whatsoever it changed society in such a weird unhealthy way that i think even more so than google it did it more rapidly no, of course and a i think but way. the thing
1: is it's it's i almost think it's unfair to pinpoint him because if it was Anyone would have filled that void. And that was of just course. like a matter of time for that to happen. But yeah, I mean, because it's because it seems like he's like this really weird introvert. Yeah. It's like he like has allowed it to grow into this
0: fucking monster. Another reason that it grew into a monster is is for a similar reason that Gmail did. And this is something most people don't know about Facebook is that it was actually an exclusive network. That started only on the harvard or was it y- the Yale right
1: exactly campus? no yeah, yeah yeah and then it, it, it expanded
0: Then yeah. they slowly people were like clamoring to get access to it and then they would slowly add more universities until it was like only all the universities in in um, the united states and then they would slowly implement more exclusivity so they would make the network wider but it was still like invite only essentially right and that's kind of an interesting tactic to make, to like pull together people who may be of like a higher affluence and education level to get it to feel like this exclusive club and then just sort of make it for everybody. And that's why that.
1: it was successful in the beginning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's because no Gmail one wants to
1: join. Like. It has, it still had that stigma of like the online world where people were like, well, I don't want to just get on some weird network. And then it was yeah. like, no, this is just for Harvard
0: students. And they're yeah. like, Oh, Oh, and this is something that, it's funny that Mark Zuckerberg said this in light of how he reacted. You know that. Do you remember when he said he had he had a private phone call with Obama to complain to him after Prism came yeah. out or after that um, Glenn Greenwald article about the the fake Facebook hacking software yeah. that would like let the NSA log into your Facebook? Um, in two thousand and ten, January 9th of two thousand and ten, he said, "Quote: The age of privacy is over. It's no longer a social norm." Unquote. So thanks, dude, like for acting so super <laughs> crazy, futuristic, progressive. It's just funny that that long ago he was saying similar things to Eric Schmidt. Oh, it seemed like here. there was almost like a coordinated effort on behalf of some of these companies to, see, to like float out the idea that, yeah, yeah, privacy's dead, bro. Once again,
1: Mark Zuckerberg bought out his neighbor's houses. In Palo so Alto. So he could be fucking private.
0: Yeah. He bought four homes adjacent to his five bedroom crash pad, as Forbes magazine says yeah just because um,
1: why why if, if privacy is overdue, just let everyone fucking look in your windows and shit yeah what do you gotta hide mark zucky boy
0: uh globalresearch.ca and zdnet.com uh, both have articles about how facebook's funding came in part from cia and darpa associated venture capital groups and i don't i don't know if they were like front i mean they're not like literally like government venture capital groups they're like venture capital groups that fund a lot of other you know private sector government work in darpa so you know i i just think a lot of the people in the government probably knew that facebook was going to be a really useful way to them for them to get intelligence on people and they and they and the fbi has even said that like our favorite our favorite website is facebook because we can find out so much about like a suspect or or whoever
1: really quickly i just thought of this hilarious news story where this girl got burglarized and they found her assailant because he was still logged in her facebook she like logged on jesus in the christ house and then just what left his accountant
0: <laughs> holy fuck wow yeah jesus <laughs> um <laughs> so there was a couple uh, there was a couple like attempts to, uh, to protest against facebook on May 31st, 2010, there was what was called the Quit Facebook Day. It was like the attempt to get people off of Facebook. It was estimated that 2% of Facebook users coming from the United States would delete their account. And I don't know if that means that that's how many people did delete their account or if that's how many people they thought were going to delete it. I mean, 2% actually is still a pretty high number. It's still sad, but I think another way to protest Facebook would be You could just do the civil disobedience thing, go to their headquarters in Menlo Park, or you could just like not necessarily quit Facebook, create like just completely fake information and, uh, you know, just change all your information. Just don't put real information on Facebook. Yeah. But then for like
1: someone like me, I, I like (laughs) use it to promote all my stuff. Like I don't it's really I, really I hard to just be like quit it. facebook and put it freaking well, yeah. fake information because then that makes you look fucking sketchy and like trollish where i'm like i don't want to
0: talk to you who the fuck are you i i guess my thinking is more along the lines of just don't put any of your private life on there that you wouldn't want everybody to see
1: yeah no of course so and that, that goes and back to the whole like exhibitionism thing it's like yeah. you don't need to put anything more beyond information to share or just like
0: exactly yeah
1: you don't need to fucking post where you're going every day, what you're doing, and like every single thing about you. Mm-hmm. And and you don't need to post all that shit on Twitter either and Foursquare. It's like, what the hell? I remember when we were when we were in Oakland doing Occupy Oakland stuff and I remember the news that came out that said that like hidden cameras were being put in bars. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, that was like another story that can't like bars were opting into this thing to have like live feeds like in the bar and then, but then they weren't telling their customers that they were doing it. And then like everyone got really pissed off cause they were like, look, if I want to fucking go to a bar and like lie to my girlfriend, I don't need to know that I'm going to like show up on a fucking feed on some like bar stream app.
0: Yeah. I, I think I do remember that now. Yeah.
1: And it's just, I don't even know how I got started talking about it. That's just like very, very disturbing that people are so gratuitous with every single thing they're fucking doing on a daily basis i don't understand it
0: i don't understand it either and i, I do, it does set a bad precedent because it becomes normalized for like kids growing up right now that like oh they god. see their parents doing it and stuff. And then the whole thing of like taking pictures of your meal i mean like oh god it's just weird it's just i don't get it but you know sometimes i like facebook like if someone um i know like you know, is in the hospital or something like it'll, you know, like I'll find out about it probably quicker through Facebook. Um, there's, there's things like that that are beneficial about it. But again, like, it's not really, if it wasn't Facebook, it'd be something else, but Facebook specifically is just very, a very, very problematic system that has shifted not only the way we behave with each other, but also, I think it's also changed the way that we sort of think about stuff too. Like, oh, of course, there's been all these studies done about Facebook, and I'm gonna just gonna read off some quotes here from different studies. These were on Wikipedia. In a 2009 commercial survey in the UK, around 20% of divorce petitions included some kind of reference to Facebook. <laughs> so meaning that like, the study was sort of concluding that Facebook can help grease the skids of like an affair or infidelity cheating in a, in right. a relationship or a marriage. Before the days of Facebook, if you didn't get his like phone number, or something you probably wouldn't have ever seen him or contacted him again but if he's just like oh yeah i'm on facebook and he tells you his name then you can find out that information in like a less committal way than calling him or something it, it makes sense why something like facebook would would increase or have But beyond, a i almost
1: think i yes that definitely but i feel like this is why facebook is really bad in a way because it makes people obsessive about other people if you're like in a relationship with someone i've done this before or like like uh, you mean if you're,
0: if you're on the other side of that flip, yeah 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 like where, you, where, where you're
1: like distrusting someone or if, like yeah. you know i was in a long distance relationship and so i would be constantly like questioning every girl you know not not like obsessively but it's like you you start to think about it and you're like well who is this person then you like look at them and yeah. it's so like fucking if Toxic you're significant other sense. like
0: something on some attractive yeah. girl's facebook yeah. page you're like hmm yeah you're like who is this person mean? and then
1: you start to get like looking at their profile it's like it, that's an invasion of their privacy it's like why am I fucking giving a shit about this other person who I yeah, would never changes, come in
0: contact with it changes the way that we think about relationships in a way that no other internet service or company has before and that in and of itself is really significant because there's like I mean I, I think it's much more negative than positive I mean, it it definitely outweighs the positives. Um, Another study uh, conducted by two German universities demonstrated Facebook envy and found that as many as one out of three people actually feel worse and less satisfied with their lives after visiting the site. Vacation photos were found to be the most common source of feelings of resentment and jealousy. (laughs) It sounds cute and funny, but I mean, it's fucking true. It's totally true. It makes total sense to me
1: really quickly if I oh, can interject sure. one thing that I think is also really horrible is that it's everyone I, this is what I've noticed too <clears throat> all these social cues like the people who put up the most photos of themselves and their spouses or like the most photos of them having fun tend to be like the most like unhappy relationships it's like you're constantly putting up this false front because if you were that happy and you were having such a fucking blast in life you don't need that reinforcement constantly by everyone around you Yeah, that's another bizarre thing that it just like seems really fake to me in that sense you know
0: well there's this really sad little short film someone made recently i sent it to you i don't know if you watched it it was of a guy who was like looking at facebook and saw people like posting really good looking pictures of their food and stuff at some fancy restaurant and he was like sitting with his wife on the couch watching tv so he decided to um just say like at sushi with the wife like exclamation mark and i just showed him like doing all these different facebook episode uh updates that were not true and then like his girlfriend broke up with him, and he was like going into like a drunken stupor in his car like all filthy and he's like he wrote on facebook clubbing and he like took a selfie of him like all drunk holding the liquor bottle (laughs) and it was just like really really it was a really simple sad little like vignette but it was i mean it's very true like I, I always question that when people act that extrovertedly happy on on Facebook like it may it does make me question it whereas people who are more kind of more just silly or not like taking Facebook that seriously I I feel like those people are probably just more presenting as who they really are you know like
1: yeah and i'm not talking about like you know going on a vacation i understand i post vacation photos too I, I i feel like i'm almost being too judgmental if someone is that way i'm just saying no, the people who too. are very no. over the top and and i'm acknowledging that like no it's, it's never the way it fucking seems like if someone went to my facebook they'd think that all i did was complain about politics i like would never be able to relax and have fun but that's like what i use the site for i use it for like you know the art and
0: well, yeah that's the thing and i politics. mean i think for all of us the internet no matter what we do on it publicly is an avatar of a part of our personality that doesn't represent our whole right. who we are at all and that's it goes back to the idea that there's no way no matter how sophisticated this technology gets that they can know us as well as we know ourselves and that's they're able to read our mind which maybe eventually <laughs> they will be able to <laughs> Maybe they can sniff our um, neurons, you know, like they listen, you know, maybe eventually when we have like a little helmet that plugs into our mind, like Google announced, okay, we're going to start like, like uh, sniffing your like neuron helmet to see like, you know, just to give you like better ads (laughs) to advertise products to you. See what you're thinking. You can opt out. Yeah.
1: (laughs) You can opt out
0: okay so a couple more studies i wanted to mention before we moved on in may 2011 emails were sent to journalists and bloggers making critical allegations about google's privacy policies however it was later discovered that the anti-google campaign conducted by pr giant burson Marsteller was paid for by facebook and what cnn referred to as quote a new level skullduggery um so just like intercorporation competition, but like Facebook is like spreading like privacy concerns about Google through a PR firm.
1: Wow. And Wait, Burson one. Marsteller. No, I know that name. I'm trying to look up what else they've done. I think they had something to do with Aspartame and Donald Rumsfeld.
0: And this is just another thing that a lot of people I'm sure heard about. A lot of like more feminist people that I'm friends with on Facebook were posting about this. Um. That in October 2013, Facebook stated that while continuing a ban on breastfeeding pictures, this is actually what they said. I mean, not in these exact words, but this is not like an inference or anything. This is actually their policy that they banned breastfeeding pictures, but that they would still allow clips of like beheadings and extreme violence. Because a lot of people were posting clips from Syria at the time. And uh, that was actually their policy now they took off the ban on breastfeeding but for like three years they allowed people to post like literal snuff videos that
1: just goes back to how fucking sexually repressed we are where we can allow like you know we we can't show a fucking tits
0: but you would even think that if facebook claims to be this like lgbt friendly organization they just added like something like 50 different gender um yeah (laughs) 50 i i don't know the exact amount but a, a bunch of different gender identity types where you can actually change to all these different different gender yeah. identity identifications. I even got tricked by it a little bit. I was like, oh, that's like surprisingly progressive for a company like Facebook. And then the more that I thought about it, I was actually like, wait a second, that's really fucking smart of them because they're going ahead of the curve of like gender politics.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That type of metric data, that type of metadata about human beings is extremely valuable. That's smart of them to pick up on that data collection. Oh, yeah. That kind of surveillance of people before anybody else does. It's so interesting to me to think about it from that way, that like they can actually hijack... Um,
1: Memes and shit. like That's le- going yeah, to be the new causes. industry. and Liberal industry.
0: And just be like, oh, yeah, we're super progressive. But, right. yeah, we're actually just doing this to make money because it's really smart of us. Wow. Paying it forward.
1: Yeah, because look at every single giant corporation. Now, even all the defense contractors are like giving the most money to... Um, the equal like like the gay rights organizations and shit. I forget the one with the equal sign, what that one was called. Um but yeah, I just went to the gay pride parade and it was like a hundred percent sponsored by like banks. <laughs> so it's like obviously this data is gonna be extremely useful for the future because it's just gonna be coming more and more inundated in like corporate America.
0: In August of twenty twelve, Facebook revealed that more than eighty three million Facebook accounts, eight point seven percent of the total accounts are fake accounts. Wow. So it was either a lot of spammers, a lot, a lot of J-Trig, a lot of, a lot of intelligence agents, a lot of trolls. And then, you know, going all the way back to that quote that Mark Zuckerberg said that the age of privacy is over, like acting like he's some sort of futurist or whatever. Um, he cu- fucking called Obama on the phone personally. And this is just an example of how we live in a two-tiered oligarch rule type of system where the CEO, this young dude, Who's like an Aspergery asshole can call President Obama on the phone to express, quote, frustration over the damage the government is creating um, about the NSA uh, stuff that revealed that the NSA was using a Facebook front end to fool Facebook users into essentially like logging into like the NSA. So yeah
1: NSA so what he means by that is he's a he's very sad that it became public and they're trying to figure out how they can fix it yeah. together
0: i mean the whole thing seemed like an obvious pr stunt i'm sure that he knew about it beforehand even if he didn't know about that specific thing he was still giving the government free reign over right. his stuff because that's the thing with facebook is it's not like it's not like everybody has these private pages and like the only one who can access them is them it's like the more people in your circle the more people who can see your page so in a certain way. I could see Facebook justifying the privacy violation and just giving the government full warrantless access to everybody's information. Maybe not their messages, their private messages, but at least their private pages. No, of
1: course. Because
0: there's like a gray area there, you know what I'm saying? There's a weird gray area with like what's private and what isn't on Facebook. Oh yeah, after Facebook donated to the Obama campaign in 2012, they got a gigantic fucking tax break. Um, And this is before, way before Mark Zuckerberg called Obama and complained like a child, um, like a a billionaire child. Um,
1: According to the University of Michigan, I know we already talked about this, that people who go on Facebook leave the website, leaving less happy, less satisfied with their lives. Um, But it turns out that. If Facebook's natural function isn't disturbing enough, the psychology on the site has also been intentionally manipulated by the people behind the code. Um, In a recent study of almost 700,000 Facebook users, the social media giant conducted a psychological experiment by altering news feeds and observing the emotional response of its users. Basically, that they're capable of infecting its users with emotional shifts on a massive level. Um, It can make you feel happy or sad, simply making a few subtle changes to what shows up in your newsfeed. Um, They did this through an entirely automated system that sorts through the communications, identifies words that are positive or negative, then alters the content to fit the desired result. Robbie, how insane is this?
0: It's, It's really insane. And it's disgusting. I mean that if Facebook wasn't bad enough already and all the stuff we've told you about in this broadcast about it, now they're actually doing military sponsored emotional um, studies by, by not just studying people's content on Facebook, but by actually manipulating it and steering it in the direction to be more negative negative by adjusting and manipulating what people see on their homepage feeds so that they can make people act more negative themselves. Right. I mean, it just seems incredibly, I, it just well, seems incredibly high, unethical to me. Highly unethical.
1: But, yeah. No, I, I mean, it's a violation of like so many moral codes of, of human experimentation. We just, you have to think in the digital world, human experimentation doesn't just happen on like a level where, you know, you're poisoned, Like the government did in prohibition where they like deliberately poison thousands of people's alcohol. Like this is an experiment done on a digital level. That's still just like, it's, it's equally as disturbing in terms of like unethical um, immoral shit. Um, this was never consented by Facebook users. There was no um, consent on the data use policy at all, at all.
0: Yeah, no, not. A, I mean, and think about people who like already are mentally unstable or are depressed, and if like they were included in this like seven hundred thousand group, the uh, pool that was used to to manipulate, like, it just to me it's just really disturbing to think that you know for however many days or or was it one week? No, we don't. I don't know how long it was. I think the duration was one week. So even still, I mean, think about like what a depressed person goes through in one week and then imagine being like a depressed person who's had like suicidal thoughts and then like all of a sudden having like your Facebook feed manipulated to only show like the most negative content. Just seems like, just think of that example and, and it seems even more unethical. You yeah, know, I mean, God. What, the if they, what if people committed
1: face? suicide because of what these people were doing? They look at us like statistics, like we're numbers, like this digital information to them. These are people's lives. These are people's lives that they're fucking with. And you make a very good point. What if someone was suicidal and Facebook drove them over the edge? How's that feel, Mark Zuckerberg? You like that on your hands? You said earlier that it was sponsored by the military. And as it turns out, another interesting caveat is that this experiment was partly funded by the DOD, the Department of Defense, um, basically funding this psychological study. Um, it's connected to a military project called the Minerva Initiative. It's a Pentagon-sponsored mass social study on like societal collapse and pending instability, resistance movements, studying all these like protest movements and seeing why people don't become terrorists, why they become like violent, why they don't become that. Um, Essentially just preparing itself for like the worst. So, I mean, straight up, like the Pentagon's militarizing social sciences, we already know that they've been doing that with anthropology for like the last couple decades is like militarizing these fields, but now this is direct proof that the U S military is directly working with social media to manipulate us.
0: Yeah. And Mark Zuckerberg, um, uh, I interviewed, uh, uh Colin Hoback, the guy who made, um, the movie called terms and conditions may apply. It's a, Great film! Everybody out there who hasn't seen it should go watch it immediately. Um, it's it's kind of uh, very similar to United States of Secrets Part Two, except it only focuses in on the private and corporate surveillance. Oh, great angle! And and in that that um, that film, he he brought up an interesting event that happened where Robert Mueller. Uh, head of the FBI, used to just go casually visit the Facebook campus in Palo Alto and Menlo Park Um, because there's multiple Facebook campuses, it turns out. There's not just one. And nobody really knows why he was visiting Facebook or what the reason was. I mean, if the FBI wanted to simply pull a warrant request on Facebook, they wouldn't have to send their fucking head of the FBI over there to do it. So there was obviously some kind of like, you know, handshakes, kind of like, you know, some, some sort of meet and greet kind of event going on there that we'll never really know about. We don't have no fucking idea what that was for. But after this study came out, I mean, you know, where, what does Facebook have any bounds of, you know, openly working with the U S government? And obviously this answers that in part is they, you know, if they're willing to work with the U S military to manipulate our emotions, then probably they don't have any (laughs) bounds whatsoever. Right. And, I mentioned Mark Zuckerberg earlier and and how he's a psychotic fucking cunt. Um, And here's what he actually said in an, it wasn't an interview. It was an AOL chat he was having with someone um, during quote Facebook's early days. And this is reported by business insider on May 13th, 2010, but it was obviously from years before that. So here's his actual quote when he's talking to someone privately online. And I guess this guy decided to leak it because he remembered how evil Mark Zuckerberg was even from the very beginning. Uh, and his, I guess his screen name was Zuck. So Zuck says, yeah. So if you ever need any info about anyone at Harvard, just ask, I have over 4,000 emails, pictures, addresses, SNS. And then the guy says, what, how'd you manage that one? And Zuck says, people just submitted it. I don't know why they quote, trust me, end quote, dumb fucks. Um, And that he's never disputed that that's an actual quote from him. People have tried to say that it was taken out of context, but that is a uh, uncensored, transparent insight into what actually goes on in this guy's mind and how he values people's privacy. It's like he knows that it's ridiculous that people would trust him in the first place.
1: And that was at the very beginning.
0: Yeah. Yeah i mean and think about what billions of dollars has done to his mind do you think it's made him more moral and more ethical absolutely not it's probably just given him reason to rationalize his own fucking psychosis you know i mean there you go yeah there you go and and cheryl sandberg the second in command at facebook um, there was all these headlines going around after the emotional study was revealed saying that she apologized for the study, but she didn't apologize. She said, all she said was quote, this is part of an ongoing research companies do to test different products. And that's what it was. It was poorly communicated. And for that communication, we apologize. Oh, okay. We never so, meant yeah, to no, upset you. They're, they're apologizing
1: you. for like the PR nightmare that they didn't like yeah. frame it well enough. <laughs>
0: Yeah. This is one week and it was a small experiment. She said, it has been communicated as an experiment to shift emotions. It's not exactly what it was. It was an experiment in showing people different things to see, to see how it worked. Again, what really matters here is that we take people's privacy incredibly seriously (laughs) and we will continue to do that. That's so it's like a sorry, not sorry. Like, Oh, this is just what companies do. And you know, we're just another company. So sorry guys. Um, Wow. These people are fucking disgusting. Absolutely disgusting.
1: <laughs> that is so crazy. I'll just link to the interview that I did with the Nafiz Ahmed because he breaks it down better than I ever could paraphrase his thoughts here on the SoundCloud timeline. So check that out. If you want to learn more about the Minerva initiative, um, I'll go ahead and link link to that right here.
0: So let's go on. Let's talk about Apple a little bit. They're also a prominent Silicon Valley company. Um they're located at One Infinite Loop, Cupertino, California. Cupertino is right outside of San Jose and Sunnyville. And um, they're one of the only companies that exclusively used AT&T as a phone carrier for many, many years. And AT&T was one of the first companies exposed of just letting the NSA copy all their internet traffic. Um, the iphone didn't let you use another carrier until like 3 years ago um so that's i think noteworthy in and of itself that this supposed like company that you know is more respectful of their users and customers and, and whatever would would do that in the first place um, yeah i mean and, they, they and you, you can't, also can't take the battery out i would yeah yeah you cannot remove the battery of an iphone and that might sound paranoid to people who don't you know think like we do maybe but in reality, if your phone cell phone is off and the battery is still inside of it, um, the US government, you know, the CIA, the NSA, um, intelligence agencies can actually make it seem like your phone is still off but still track you. Um, I don't know if they could actually listen to your voice, but they can find your location, uh, even if your phone is off but, So you can take a battery out of most cell phones if you really wanted to no
1: they can still listen to you
0: okay Shit. well yeah that's pretty bad so an iphone makes it pretty much impossible to avoid that if you really wanted to go off the grid
1: yeah so you're like carrying around a recording device basically all the time
0: i have one which is ridiculous i mean you can remove it if you like destroy it i guess I don't know if you can remove it. I mean, you probably have to like literally get one of those little tiny mini eyeglass screwdriver kits and like take you like an hour to take it out. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe technically you can, but you know. Um iTunes uh Apple's um Media Store was one of the first companies to implement what's called digital rights management, which is a it's a fingerprint on the file. It's like a security thing that makes it so you can't copy um the file to more like more than five times or something like that. It has like a limitation. But essentially what it is is it's like defeating the purpose of like digital files. Cause the whole point of a digital file is that you can make as many copies yeah, as you Yeah, want like force you to it's admit, yours.
1: redo all of your files into this weird fucking
0: if you've paid for system. it it's yours and you could copy it you're not technically supposed to copy it to a friend but that was the whole point now, of that's before.
1: insane too that didn't used to be like that where they now allow you five downloads
0: well i think well it yeah it's i don't know if they if no, itunes no, no, it's not even five
1: downloads it's like five different devices
0: it's bullshit yeah i mean that's and they normalized that technology they made it so that when you buy a file you buy a digital file there'll be a restriction on how many times you can copy it. And that's really fucked up. And they did that for music first. And that's to me extremely fucked up. Um, and that's also kind of ironic to me that they would do that because if you think about it, the iPod itself, I mean, let's just, this is just, let's just be straight here. The iPod itself encourages copyright infringement. The whole idea of listening to MP3s sort of came out of boot, music bootlegging so here's apple profiting off of their one of their best-selling products which was a product designed around a culture of copyright infringement and and implementing before and we any mean other like company. there's no
1: there's no way that someone could like purchase like ten thousand albums or whatever like yeah you know, like it just holds this insane amount of music
0: and i'm okay with that i mean no, like of I'm, course i download you know music all the time but i also buy music online i do yeah. that too I mean, certain people won't buy any music. That's their prerogative. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's. I think it sets a really awful precedent, what they did. And even the Apple Store itself, like the Apple App Store, is like a closed system. They have their own operating system on the iPhone that is a closed system. They want to make it so that even the Macintosh platform becomes like a closed system, like an idiot-proof system. And even Steve Jobs said in a private email exchange with a, like an irate, Apple user somehow he like got up and t- the chain in an email argument with an Apple person and got to Steve Jobs. No way. And Steve Jobs said, I think this was like four or five years before he died. He basically told the guy the reason why these the, we keep closing in the system is because he want he, we want to keep the world safe from porn. Like essentially arguing, do you want like your kid to just like be able to just look at terrible pornography? So he was sort of like justifying this idea of making the the world of the internet smaller. There's nothing like wrong with shrinking that size of the internet and making it less free. Um, and the sounds whole sounds like the terrorism argument. Yeah, yeah, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it is. It is exactly the same situation. Um Apple did a lot of patent trolling to block out competition. The infamous for filing lawsuits against other companies, that did did touch um, touch screen based cell phones um uh they started the precedent of of the idea of data mining uh cellular phone applications so if it wasn't bad enough that facebook google all these companies that we use these private companies data mined us already all of these like supposedly free games that you download on like the apple store are all just there to fucking data mine you they, they you sign an agreement with all these games, you probably don't even read it that like says, Are you sure you want to let us use your location data? Are you sure you want to let us use your web history? Are you sure you want us to do this? Are you sure you want us to do that? Why is that game free if it's made by a really big company? Well, it's because they're making money off of you in a different way that you just don't know notice. Oh yeah. Apple denies that they had a backdoor, but they confirmed the gag order from working with the NSA in 2014. Um this is one of the controversial things that Jacob Applebaum did is he used slides, uh, NSA slides from documents that he didn't say either way. He didn't say they came from Snowden and Glenn Greenwald alluded to the fact that they didn't. When someone asked them him about it, he made it, he said something like who said those documents came from Snowden. And and it was this talk that Jacob Applebaum did where he had all these new NSA documents that looked really similar to the other Snowden documents about Essentially how Apple and these companies must have given the NSA a backdoor because in their NSA's own words, they have a 100% success rate in trying to access user data on iOS, which is the Apple operating system for the iPhone. 100%. So how could that, that must either mean that Apple writes really terribly insecure software, like horrible, or the NSA has a backdoor. Really only two options there. And that was pretty much what he said in his talk. Um, and uh, the NSA, this is a quote from the BitTech article about this backdoor. The NSA reportedly has a backdoor code name Dropout Jeep that gives them access to anything on the iPhone, including its mic and camera. <laughs> I love that name, Dropout Jeep. Um, and there's so many other things about Apple that I can talk about, but I'm just going to leave it there um, so we can just mention really quickly some of these other companies that should be called out microsoft is a huge player in this they were in the prism slide microsoft visitor center the the hq is not in silicon valley proper it's in washington um it's at 15010 northeast 36th street in redmond washington um bill gates was recently interviewed about snowden and he said snowden is no hero And deserves no admiration um somewhere i think it was around march 14th of 2014 and he goes on to say that the reason why he thinks what snowden did is bad is because we need to be able to prevent catastrophic terrorist attacks like a biological attack that was like pretty much exactly what he said um sounds an awful lot like something richard pearl would say just just like if you didn't think bill gates was any stupider
2: um then there there you are i mean that's that's wow um you know biological attacks like dude that shit was fucking like propaganda you were propagandized to believe that like that's not real shit um (laughs) another thing um, um let's see oh yeah there's the ceo of Microsoft. this really ridiculously manic guy named steve Ballmer. And you can go on YouTube and watch videos of him acting extremely, like having like a crazy manic episode on stage a couple of um, He, This is another thing that these companies do is they like to like bash each other for their different privacy uh, violations. So Steve Ballmer took some indirect swipes at Google, which Microsoft has repeatedly claimed scans user emails in order to target them with advertisements. Um, here's what Ballmer said. There are things we don't do we have said we don't read your email so we 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 can send you ads we don't scan your files on SkyDrive and use that to target ads um so he's like acting like they're better than google because they don't do that but i mean who the fuck really knows but recently microsoft did file some like a lawsuit against uh the nsa for what they were doing um, but again, you know, as much as they act like they're like trying to respect user privacies, it was reported in July 11th, 2013, um, I'm getting this from NPR, that Microsoft helped NSA FBI get around encryption, which is particularly egregious. So they weren't just like handing them data. They actually helped them get around user data that was encrypted, like in bulk collection. Wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. Um and people might not think wait a minute ex- oh, you
1: know when you were saying that they were um rerouting cisco routers and like putting Opening in little back doors yeah where were they getting that information from That the cisco routers were going to these people's houses like it, how were they and inter- how were they intercepting them
0: i'm sure they just like used Goog- like google i mean some kind of internet traffic monitoring mm-hmm. they've had to have you mean like like whoever? I was ordered just wondering these? if
1: it was like through like a company like Amazon or something. I don't
0: know. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, who really knows? Um, I, I'm sure you can find out who they worked with specifically. Um, you don't really hear very much about the Xbox when it comes to privacy violations, but the Xbox marketed something called the Connect, and what the Connect is is it's the first like consumer level affordable. 3 d scanner 3d mapper it uses infrared technology to actually map and make a 3d representation of the space that it's in so it's like that thing in batman the, uh, the dark knight movie the one with the joker um with christian bale it's like that that little sonar phone thing essentially that it's uh, uh, in some ways better than a camera because you can map a three-dimensional space mm-hmm. um and so the uh, something like that like for Doing like a SWAT team raid or something. I mean, if someone has an Xbox connect and the government can get access to it, some government agency, um, that's really useful information. And that's just, that's kind of scary in and of itself. That it enables them to do that. And as we've seen, Microsoft doesn't, already doesn't really care much about our privacy. Um, and Skype is also one of the most common ways people do voice chatting online. And that's owned by Microsoft as well
1: what do we do though i mean we're i feel like we're fighting a losing battle because all these fucking kids are growing up not having any concept of privacy or why it matters and how you act like a different person when you know that you're being watched and how like society is going to change forever completely if we well, allow I already it i, that, just, I mean that's I know. a scary thing i, I mean know. this is
0: the that's what we've talked about on the show before that you and i in our age group and just the fact that you and i were on the internet and we were pretty internet savvy. Like when we were as young as like 12 or 11 years old, like the fact that we had at least a formed developed mind enough when we were that age to sort of have an understanding of the world and how society behaved to a certain degree, as much as like an 11, 12 year old could. And then we saw when the internet started to like seep into the mainstream, we saw that transition happen. Yeah. We saw the difference between before and after. Now everyone talks about pre and post nine eleven, but like, I think we're like forgetting that like the biggest leap is like pre and post internet. I mean, mm-hmm. society has drastically changed since then. Um, just while we're all like complaining about like, Oh, technology doesn't seem to be moving as fast as it would all <laughs> the while like the internet is just like, like a crazy carpet being like pulled up and like this rug being like swept up from underneath of us. Um, and I think that gives us a really, at least unique perspective compared to other generations, just about why, we've seen the damage these things have done and we've seen the difference between an internet that's free and not corporate controlled, you know, and to this degree and an internet that's like destined to be completely corporatized. And I think that's what we're facing now. I mean, and the death of net neutrality is just another media in in general too.
1: Yeah. Like how we, we grew up like actually watching like investigative journalism, like reports like the you know there was just like one news show it would be like the nightly news where they'd actually do like a really hard-hitting report yeah before like i mean so much has changed i guess it's just like all it is all joined together
0: and even companies like oracle which were really obscure back in the day like early internet days they were like a i mean they're and they still are like a business to business type of company but they changed the face of business like um they their whole thing is databases so like a lot of that stuff that the NSA uses to, to aggregate all this metadata and to search through it, probably in large part developed by companies like Oracle. And Oracle's is another um, company that's in the Silicon Valley there. They are at 500 Oracle Parkway in Redwood City, California. Larry Ellison is the CEO of Google. I mean, of sorry, of Oracle. And he also happens to be one of the richest men in the world. Um, unlike a lot of other CEOs, it's not super common i mean it's common enough but it's not like larry ellison is literally i think he's like in the top 10 and he's the ceo also of, of oracle and he's just a really weird looking sleazy looking like tan guy he looks like just really sleazy um but he was recently asked in an interview what he thought about nsa surveillance and snowden and he said that nsa surveillance is quote great and quote essential and then He thought that Edward. He didn't say he thought Edward Snowden was a traitor, but he was essentially saying that everything Edward Snowden leaked shouldn't have been leaked. And then he went on to call Google, quote, absolutely evil. (laughs) (laughs) This is just this the stupid game they play where they're all acting like Google is so evil, because I mean, in a way, Google has taken it a step further than them. But well,
1: just like the political establishment, everyone's acting like everyone else is fucking evil, and they're all working together to perpetuate the system, dude.
0: And this is just an interesting factoid. On 9-13, uh, two days after September 11th, Larry Ellison, the CEO of Oracle, um, sent an email to uh, Oracle employees praising Todd Beamer for his heroic actions on the United 93 flight to like crash the plane before the terrorists could bring it to their target. And Todd Beamer was an employee of Oracle. But what was so strange about that is that besides dick cheney very vaguely hinting about what happened he somehow seemed to have inside information that like nobody else in the public consciousness had yet about like exactly what occurred or what supposedly occurred on united 93 and i just find that incredibly odd that this like one of the richest men in the world somehow delivered to the you know part of this like united 93 heroic story before anybody else knew about it um just kind of creeps me out a little bit And there's another lesser known company that, you know, is not compared to some of these other ones we've been talking about. It's not a behemoth, but it's still weird. Um, Dropbox is in San Francisco and its address is 185 Berry Street. And Dropbox, in their terms of service, they technically own whatever you upload to it. So, They could steal like blueprints if you're like an architect or they could steal um, musical content or photography or something. And it's technically, they're not breaking the law, apparently, according to their terms of service. And their terms of service might have changed since then. But I think this is back in 2013 that their terms of service were still like this. And uh, just really oddly, Condoleezza Rice recently became a board member of Dropbox. Which is just like what the fuck? Like what? I just don't understand. Um, and then uh, this is another thing: you would think that oh, well, Dropbox is just an extension of my hard drive; it's just like a cloud, you know, thing online. But it's mine. You know, it's my property. Wrong. Um, this is another thing that makes it ridiculous: is that just like YouTube, just like SoundCloud, ro- a robot scans Dropbox for copyright infringement, which just seems really bizarre to me like that's not you're not necessarily like sharing these links with other people it's like for your own storage so it's almost like a robot is like scanning an extension of your hard drive for copyright infringement and like not letting you store it
1: i mean yeah i don't like dropbox i don't know yeah something about it i just don't like but and then when i and then when i found out that condoleezza rice was on it i was just like what like i know why i don't like it because it only let me fucking do like three like it doesn't have that much storage space unless you buy into it so it's like i i just like ran out really quickly and then like when you'd match up with someone they'd fill it and then you're like well fuck i don't have any room now this is just irritating
0: and i'm not buying into this
2: yeah i mean there's this this is the the thing they all
0: that even acted like this is how they've gotten us to opt into all this stuff you know people say oh well you're you know um why are you using these products then it's like because they've slowly weaned us onto them by like getting us to opt in by making it all seem like it's free yeah like it didn't cost it didn't anything hard. to us but this is actually what it cost it costs us our privacy it costs us our social like etiquette it costs us all these really unexpected things that like in in the long run like it wasn't really worth it was it i mean no. like was it worth giving up those things? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, even the convenience of cell phones to me, it wasn't really even worth that sort of like constantly always needing to be doing something or checking on the internet. Like no. that seems like it actually is more, gives me more anxiety than not being able to make a phone call for two hours. You know, like always feeling this need to constantly see what's going on in the world. And and, and then the world gets smaller and this more homogenous mass of people just echoing each other. And even the political scene, you know, what's considered really radical in politics is still fairly tame. I mean, um, a lot of the journalists who are sort of like on the left who are considered like heroes or, or the most popular, like they're just not going far enough. And I mean, this is just, it's, the internet gives paints a false picture of the world and and uh that's i mean we need to remember that also that these companies even though they may do useful things for us are not on the side of like democracy freedom um privacy protection no. i mean they're not there
1: no i think and what it comes down to is even if they started off as doing that the algorithms alone that make our worldview so small now and that people have no idea about or how to like opt out of that it's actually destroying us that i that's like the most disturbing thing to me because they are like catering your fucking search results and everything that you see they're influencing your whole internet experience to what is being reinforced about your already preconceived notions and that's very very damaging
0: so in the end i hope that people take from this um just you know some of our ideas and suggestions about how you know we didn't give too many specific suggestions but i think we've given people just some more information to help them form or you know something that eventually might form over you know, like a new Occupy movement based around Silicon Valley. Um, And I think it's really important. I think it would make a huge impact on how this argument is being formed because in the narrative right now, it is still only framed as the government's bad. These companies, you know, are okay. You know, they might do some bad things, but they're way more okay than the government. But I think we need to start changing our attitude in that regard And stop framing it as the 99% versus the 1%. This is about these powerful oligarchs who comprise the 0.01, maybe even the 0.001%, who are just completely colluding with the government and not respecting us at all. We're commodities to them. And corporate surveillance of us, because that's literally what it is, should be seen as just as much of a violation as government surveillance
1: the problem is that people they're not getting pushed out into the streets because they're being spied on. Do you know what I mean? They're being yeah, pushed out in the streets because of foreclosures and fucking, you know, schools closing down. So it's like, I, I honestly don't know when that point will break. Um, mm-hmm. And I really hope it does because it's beyond the time that we should be caring about this.
0: Yeah. And I mean, these companies can't, I mean, they're, they're so embedded here. I just think we need to remind them that we're, we're not going to tolerate this. And, um, there, they, I mean, this is our, I, I just think this is our, um, area, <laughs> the, the Bay area, the people here own it, the citizens. And, you know, I think we really need to shift our attitude away from this happy go lucky. Everything in the Silicon Valley is great for the society. It's helping people interconnect and, realize that there is a huge cost and you know i'm not going to tell people what to do but i think that really needs to sink in yeah um and that's pretty much it
1: well thanks for compiling all that research that was really fascinating shit i hope everyone um you know just just keep everything that we said take it into account and you know, we're not telling you to boycott all of these products. Obviously we all utilize them as well. Um, We just all need to be aware of, like Robbie said, the cost of our privacy and like how much the world is changing if we don't step up and demand changes from these companies um, or build alternatives. I mean,
0: yeah. Or at mm. least show them that like, just because we're customers and we use their products yeah. doesn't mean that we're not going to like, try to intimidate them and show them that like, you know, Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know if they'll ever change, but at the very least we need to try our hardest to get them to. Right. And if that doesn't work, then maybe start a counter internet as private network or just completely opt out. Yeah, because you're right.
1: The first thing we need to do is try to get these companies to change. The problem is they're just going to get worse if they don't change. (laughs) Like it could go either way and it's going to go very extreme either way. So then we need to make our next decision, which is like, all right, do we then now quit these services, try to build our own? So it's like these need to go in stages right now. We need to like really inform people of how this is happening, how it's affecting them and how it goes well beyond just the state. Yeah. And then Absolutely. we can re-strategize. So let's just get the conversation going and just start talking about these things to everyone and, um, talk about them on Facebook, start talking yeah. them about, you know, on social media. I mean, we just need to use these tools and get it, get it rocking.
2: Completely agree.
1: All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to the extremely long episode of media roots, radio, donate to MediaRoots.org and check out uh, breaking the set.